0: This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin.
1: We live in a time inundated with remakes and homages to different films, but how do you take those influences but make something original and compelling? This is something that today's guest does really well. Jared Rivett is a screenwriter. He's worked on films like Jackals. He's worked on the series Are You Afraid of the Dark for Nickelodeon and has also worked on the upcoming Day of the Dead TV series for Sci-Fi, which drops October 15th. We had a great conversation about his influences like George Romero, John Carpenter, Toby Hooper, and so many more. You're really going to appreciate today's episode of the Film Schooled Podcast. And if you do enjoy the episode, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and follow the show and drop a five-star rating and review, a written review of the show to help it get seen by more people. All right, without further ado, here comes my interview with Jared Rivett. All right, Jared, thank you so much for joining me today on the show.
0: I am so excited to be here. Thank you for asking, Eric.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm excited to have you on. And this show, really, the reason I started is because a lot of shows talk about what are you working on now? What's the newest news? And for me, what's really interesting, and it's why I call it film school, is I like to know the movies that made the people that I'm sitting across from and, and uh, you know, Tarantino is interesting, but what are the movies that Tarantino watched? That's the stuff I want (laughs) to know. And uh, you know, when we talked beforehand, your inspirations really show in your work. I think Um, you you mentioned Romero, Carpenter, Toby Hooper, like all of those things. I I watched Jackals for the first time last week and (laughs) was, I mean, for the opening scene, you could see it dripping with, (laughs) Carpenter, I mean, with the inspirations, you could see the influences throughout the movie. So Mm -hmm. tell me about your kind of cinematic birth. What made you what are the the early movies that kind of formed who you are?
0: Well, it's interesting, because it definitely um, it all started with Star Wars. Mm. Um, I wasn't into movies. I was, uh, I was, I'm, I'm a little, I won't, I won't divulge my age, but, uh, I was born in the seventies and, uh, and star Wars showed up and it just kind of changed everything for me. Um, I don't, I don't remember what I was into before that. I was probably maybe seven or eight years old, but it just was like, bam, uh, movies and John Williams, you know, scores. I'm, 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 I'm a big score nerd. It, uh, when we initially talked, it was like, okay, influences. And I almost put Jerry Goldsmith because I'm such a film score nerd, but I was like, no, let's, let's, let's stay on brand. Let's stay to the stick to, to movies. Cause if we go off into film score land, that'll be a whole other, that'll be a whole other podcast uh, session. Um, but yeah, Star Wars and, and then sci-fi fantasy. And then it was also, I had, my parents were not super duper strict about what I watched and it was also At a time, they were young and um, we had kind of that golden age of horror that happened right around then. And I don't even know, you know, at the time we didn't realize it. We were just spoiled and didn't know that Dawn of the Dead and Halloween and Friday the 13th and Alien and American Werewolf in London and all these amazing horror movies were like going to be this focal point of like, we're still in the, you know, I think for decades we're going to be talking about those movies and, and Night of Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And so these were all things that were current at the time and I was seeing them and it was like, Whoa, okay. And then not realizing as we got into the eighties, like, okay, this was a special little, you know, eight or 10 year span that we had. Um, So it really was kind of being hit by these amazing horror films on top of being into all the nerd stuff, the sci-fi, fantasy stuff of, of that was huge at the time. So yeah, it really kind of started with Star Wars, and then I would have to say it would be the guys that I mentioned to you, which is Night of the Living Dead and Creepshow, huge. Um, Carpenter with Halloween and the Fog, and all—I mean, that whole run, honestly, from Assault on Precinct Thirteen through to whenever in the in the in the nineties. Um, and then Toby, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist in Salem's lot. They just knocked me on my ass. And it was like, okay, well, I, you know, I was changed. And I think the thing that I always say is that creep show is like the big creep show is there's like pre creep show for me, and then there's post creep show for me. And like creep show really, I there was a book, um, that came out a couple of years ago and I was I, I contributed an essay to it. I was lucky enough to be asked. It was called My Favorite Horror Movie and basically it was just horror personalities uh, writing about what the horror movie it was that kind of changed them or what was the one that had the biggest influence. Not necessarily like the best. It was an interesting to get a, an idea of what he, he was saying when he introduced, like, here's the concept of the book. It's like, I don't want you to write about the greatest horror movie ever made. I want you to write about the horror movie that had the biggest impact on you like what is mm. your favorite horror movie and so it was an interesting distinction because it wasn't as if every single you know it's like okay so what you what you're saying is it's going to be you know night of living dead halloween the exorcist yeah. night of living dead halloween the exorcist and that's just chapter after chapter yeah. so instead it was like no which one means the most to you and creep show was the one I think I, I was such a, I was a, I was a fraidy cat. I was a, I was a scaredy cat when I was a kid. I was terrified of everything. Um, and so creep show kind of taught me that it could be fun to be scared. Yeah. And it's the tagline of the movie, but it also was, it really did kind of hit me that way. It was like, Oh, well I'm having fun watching this scary movie that isn't too scary, but when it scares you, creep show, you know, it comes in like a sledgehammer. Um, but it really is more about having fun. And so it's, it's definitely a, a huge star Wars opened the door to a lot of other things. And then uh, yeah, I I think Creepshow show would be the one that I would say have the biggest influence, but all the movies that I listed definitely were the ones that definitely um, you know, molded and shaped who I am and what my style is and what I'm into today.
1: Yeah. What, what was it about the films? Cause I'm, I'm always interested in talking with people who, cause for me it was visuals. Like, I, how did they make it look like that person got stabbed? How did they make it sure. look like this happened? How did they blow this building up? Or right? You know, um, and, and so for me, it was the visuals. But I talk to other people; it's the music or it's the yeah. acting. You know, um, what element was it for you that made you go like, "Oh, this is kind of magical"? Like when you sat down and watched Star Wars, mm-hmm. was it just the fact that it was a totally different world on the screen? What What was it for you?
0: I mean, it's first and foremost, it was John Williams' music. For sure. I mean, that's like, I don't even know how much of a percentage, but then you have the first time seeing that level of special effects, uh, you know, being done. And then, I mean, like Star Wars, is just a whole package. It's, it's, you get, it's a great story with fun characters and an engaging universe. And then you have fantastic visuals and you have great music. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where everything kind of comes together. Um, and so it really did kickstart my interest in film music and noticing film music. And also at the time, I just thought that John Williams scored every movie. And the weird thing, when you look back on that era, it's like, he did so many iconic did. themes. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was like, and, and so I just assumed when I sat down to see a movie that it was John Williams. And so I think it was, um, Star Trek, the motion picture was the first time, and Jerry mm-hmm. Goldsmith is my all-time favorite composer, but I went to see Star Trek The Motion Picture in 1979 with my dad uh, in December of 79, and this theme, this amazing theme kicked in, and I was like, oh, it's got to be John Williams, and his music by Jerry Goldsmith. I'm like, well, excuse me, sir. Yeah, Who do you right. think you would? Oh, I don't know. John Williams, right? And then it was like, oh, so there are other guys. There's John Barry, yeah. and there's Ennio Morricone, and there's James Horner. It's like, oh, okay, and it just opened up this thing, but it really – I think it's I constantly listen to film music and I'm the biggest freak in the world about it. And if you're in a relationship with me or a friendship with me, it's like, well, he's going to be listening to film music pretty much all the time. If you go over to his place, there's going to be film music (laughs) playing in the background. Um, It's weird. I get it, but it's just about keeping myself in the headspace. I don't know if I need to kind of be in a movie all the time in order to kind of be a, receiver or a, a receptor of the kinds of ideas and the creativity that I need. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think the music listening to th- to film music as a mood and to keep you, I always make playlists. The first thing that I do when I'm working on a project, it's the second thing after I decide I'm going to do the project is I create a playlist and you know, that is a ritual. It's a whole, that, that's a, that's an afternoon. That's a whole day, you mm-hmm. know? where um, I create a playlist. It's like, this is the right thing, that's the wrong thing, so that I can just hit, you know, play on Apple Music, can't call it uh, iTunes anymore, and um, have a mood, have a, a temperature, have an atmosphere uh, of the world that I am going to be writing in. And so the music really to me, you know, is, because you can also, it's not, when you when you separate this the the film music from the movie then you don't have the visuals to worry about uh, in right sense, and you don't have it's a, a mood it's about a thing uh, sometimes music is really distinctive um there are certain scores that i can't write to um i love anton senko's score for jackals and we they put out uh, a soundtrack album uh, note for note music put out a soundtrack album um I can't use it in any of my playlists because all I get is jackals out of it. like mm-hmm. and that's just that's just me. But there are other movies like and a lot of John Williams stuff that is just way too specific and distinctive. Yeah. So it's like it's hard to kind of not see Indiana Jones cracking a whip or Superman, you know, flying uh, yeah. uh, you know through the sky or. Um, or, or, or the shark from jaws. It's like, well, okay. I see Brody and I see Hooper and I see Quint. I don't see what it is that I'm working on. So like a lot of the John Williams, as much as I love, that's my favorite stuff. And I will go see him for as long as he wants to do his Hollywood bowl shows. And I will buy all of his soundtracks and reissues. But, um, I liked, I tend to find stuff that is more of a mood. And I think that Jerry Goldsmith kind of does that right. where it's, and a lot more of his stuff, Christopher Young's stuff, uh, yeah. I think the roster it's, it, it's it just, you could keep going. So for me, I guess first and foremost, it would be the music, but then it's it's the craft. It's everything that goes into. When you watch a John Carpenter movie or a George Romero or any of these guys, it's like there's so much craft going on. There's so they know what they're doing. You know, you you are in their hands. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a great book called uh, "Eaten Alive at a Chainsaw Massacre," Um, and I have it, but I can't think of the author's name. Muir. John Kenneth Muir, I think, and um, he uh, talked about how a Toby Hooper movie was an interesting experience because it's it's you you don't trust Toby, you don't you you as the movie progresses, you feel less and less like you, your guard has to stay up, you know, because yeah. he's going to get you and he's going to get you bad, and you don't know how he's going to do it. Um, and I think that I see that when I when I watch, uh, you know, different kind, I, when you're watching a George Romero movie, it's like this guy knows exactly what he's doing to get the effect mm-hmm. that he wants out of you. Um, and whether it's something like um, that uh, janitor's uh, rig in Creepshow in the crate uh, there's a huge jump scare in Creepshow. It kind of gets written off now because we've all seen it so many times and it's, it's it's so old. And if you're seeing it with an audience, but there's a bit where Hal Holbrook first goes to the university to check on Fritz Weaver's story to see if it's true. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of, ner- he's there alone and he's nervous about looking under the staircase. And so he's doing this thing where he's kind of looking, but he's not looking where he's going. He's constantly, he's got his eyes are riveted on the, Gap under the stairs, and he's looking and he's looking and he's looking and he's leaning and he's stepping, and he bumps into this janitor's rig, this this you know wheeled cart that has a broom or a mop on it, and the broom handle makes this huge noise. And if you see it in a the theater, and Romero had said, and I saw it in one of his interviews, he said it's the biggest scare in the movie. Hmm.
1: It's
0: a two hour movie with five different stories in it and a wrap around, and the biggest scare is a broom handle. Yeah, tipping over because the audience isn't expecting it, and um, so when but you know that you have the audience in the palm of your hands when something like a broom or a mop handle (laughs) falling, making a noise, gets the audience to jump. Um, and that sequence too, that whole I mean, the crate is probably my favorite part of the show. But you know, when Billy shows up and Henry realizes that the story has worked and that she's fallen for this whole bullshit thing about. Dexter Stanley and the girl under the stairs it's like and he can't he's he's so giddy about what he's about to do and he's so amazed that it's worked that he starts to laugh and he can't control himself and it's hysterical and I just love I mean that's a genius sequence and so you see the craft that these guys pull and I mean Carpenter and and Toby they all definitely all I mean I love all the masters all of the all the masters of horror masters uh guys because you just knew that you were in the hands of people that were going to manipulate you and scare you and you know, tell a great story perfectly.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, they are masters and that's oh, yeah. where, you know, you hear the term master of horror and you hear the end and the conversation always, you know, as much as earlier, I was recording about James Bond. Who's the new James Bond, the conversation, who's the new master of horror gets thrown right. around so much. Is it James Wan? Yeah. Is it Mike Flanagan? the And right. talented directors, you know, but it's, it's like, it's too early to tell. Like you look at the careers of a carpenter, Romero, Hooper, mm-hmm. years of just, Consistently creating interesting things, not always perfect movies. You know, there's yeah. there's flawed movies in Hooper's career, and Carpenters and Romero's. I'd argue Romero has the least. Uh, I think <laughs> movies that don't work. I think all of them work for me on some level. Oh God, um, absolutely. But it, but it's absolutely. you know they were expert filmmakers. And the other piece of this, and this is why you know when someone tells me they're three or four inspirations, I'm always trying mm-hmm. to look at what are the similarities. You know, and and mm-hmm. I think Carpenter, Romero, and Hooper. I'll have that expert level of knowing where the story is going, but also too one thing that resonates with me with those films is there is a handmade quality to all three of those filmmakers do yes. mainly to budget. I mean, you look at Halloween or you look at, especially with Romero's movies, um, even the one that just got re-released amusement park or Toby mm-hmm. Hooper with eaten alive, you know, it's a very, right. you can see the, almost see the wires of yeah. the movies. Um, yeah. And for me as someone who's interested in filmmaking, someone who's interested in creating, I love that because it's yeah. attainable. There's some attainable yeah. level, like not maybe the craft or the storytelling, but the mm-hmm. way that they put these films together. So what was it that motivates you to say, like, I want to get in the business of making movies, not just consuming. Like I want to start putting these pieces together.
0: I, I It's so far back that I honestly can't remember except that I like I said I became fascinated with movies in general and how how do they do that? Like you said, how you you know I, I have a special effects book that um, I bought uh, and that I got when I was very young because that's the thing when Star Wars blew up it was all about special effects like yeah. there were books were and magazines stars. and Starlog <laughs> and all yeah, I'm doing you know yeah. exactly and so like and the thing was like I said I was I was a Frady cat and Fangoria mm. was this kind of gateway to understanding or at least beginning to understand how they did those things. So it's like, okay, well that scalping and maniac, like I can't even look at it it's terrifying. Did they scalp something? Did they really do that? Like, no, no, no. Here's how they did it. You know? And it's like, Oh, okay. Well then now that I know how they did it, a, I am less afraid of it and more fascinated by it. And now I'm again uh, fixated on the technique on the craft that's being, you know, Uh, uh, put up on screen visualized and then it's like well maybe I could do that maybe I could you know and then just wanting to tell stories I was also uh, started to in a real formative part of my life there were a lot of horror anthology TV shows and movies a lot more than I think before or since we're in a kind of a renaissance period right now that I'm really excited about where there are a lot of them again but there were so many. And I think that not only are you hundred percent right about the, I didn't even really consciously think about the fact that Toby and John Carpenter and George Romero were in fact, all kind of, you know, grassroots guys. And I mean, Romero, I'm an East coast kid. I'm from Massachusetts and yeah. all of the East coast horror fans, Romero is a God. Like yeah. there is no, because it, And it's, uh, American movie, right. Where Mark, uh, I can't think of his last name, but you know, he was like, Oh, here was a, you watch the living dead. And it's like, there are, it's cold out. There are dead trees. Like this isn't Hollywood. It's not, it's, it's kind of amateur. It's got this feel like it was shot someplace that I recognize that cemetery is, I used to ride my bike through a cemetery that looked just like that. And so you, you felt a connection with it. Same with Texas chainsaw massacre, same with Halloween, um, and the fog and, um, so, yeah, you really did feel a kind of a kinship with those guys. But with the, the horror anthology thing, to get back to that, it really was something where I was fascinated by the kind of short bite, like the idea that you could, I guess it felt like, oh, it doesn't have to be a big epic thing. It can be something that's 10 minutes long or 20 minutes long, uh, you know, and you have a good scare and you don't have to, you know... Um, I'm a big fan of amicus uh, uh, horror anthologies. So, mm-hmm. you know, the original tales from the crypt movie from 72 and from beyond the grave and, uh, and those movies asylum. And one of the things that they kind of uh, Milton Sabotsky and uh, his partner, they talked about was like, it's hard to maintain a horror concept for two hours or for 90 minutes. Um, so why not just do these little bites? Because if you've got a crazy idea for a horror story, it's like, well, that's great. But can you, stretch that out for two Mm. hours? Are you really going to have them go and look in the library to figure out, you know, it's like, or do you just have it have something happen, you know, and then you're out and you move on to the next one. And so I think that that made it even more, I was really obsessed with anthologies, still am. Um, I was really obsessed with anthologies back then, because I liked the idea of the short bite where you could Mm. get in and get out and scare the crap out of people and people would be super duper impressed. And I didn't think that there was I don't think there's an action movie equivalent. I don't think that there's a romantic comedy. Yeah. I mean, maybe there are, but it was the idea. And I'm not even like a shorts guy. I'm not much of a director when it comes to visual stuff. I write and then I do audio dramas that and then I do anthologies. Um, but uh, I think I'm intimidated by all of the work that goes into directing. Yeah. Um, but so it's not even so much that it's about like, oh, okay, well, I can do this in a week or a couple of weeks and then be done as opposed to the months it would take to, to do a feature. Um, so yeah, it really was being kind of raised. So for me, it was things like tales from the dark side and Tales from the Crypt, the HBO series yeah. and monsters and amazing stories. And Alfred Hitchcock presents the eighties the iteration and the twilight zone, the eighties uh, version. Yeah. It was nuts. I mean, there was a time somebody on Twitter the other day was like, you have to realize there was a time where like this, all of these shows were on at the same time era like they had seasons live yeah. running first run seasons in the same calendar year and it's like your brain yeah. explodes because it's like the idea that they had twilight zone the new twilight zone tales from the Dark Side. and they weren't small these shows
1: these were like yep. i mean you look Huge. at you look at tales from the crypt on hbo and you, mm-hmm. you look at the people behind that show mm-hmm. and it's amazing now. Like it's like Saturday night live of horror. It's like, you look at every single guest on tales from the crypt. They're huge stars. Um, they either were coming out of being huge stars or they were about to be huge stars. So you've got, I mean, first of all, you've got like Richard Donner producing the show. Who's like at the peak of his game, you know? And then you've got like watching the show, you've got Daniel Craig in one of the episodes, you know, before like layer cake, I mean, pre anything, Daniel Craig, you've got Christopher Reeves, you know, Mm -hmm. hacking meatloaf, like the singer meatloaf into (laughs) pieces and serving You've got Arnold Schwarzenegger directing an episode. You've got so much talent and did all of them work? No, but it's amazing seeing how much money was getting poured into these projects and how big that genre was getting for a period of time. And I do, I think we are we're in something of a, it goes in an ebb and flow, I think. Like, so you've got, you, you had the nineties really strong. You had that very early two thousands, you know, where it was, you know, it started to die down and got very cliche with like the late nineties, early two thousands. Then you have a James Wan with saw and you have for what, for me, I grew up with saw and the, the platinum dunes remakes, which I have a very soft, spot in my heart for like Texas change. My introduction to Leatherface, Jason, Uh Freddie was platinum dunes, you know, and you know, love it or hate it. Like, it's amazing seeing these big budget B movies get put up on the screen. It was, it's amazing. And now with Blumhouse, like I'm so fascinated to see where that train ends up, you know, we're in a very interesting time period.
0: The whole thing is way more mainstream than it's been my entire life. When I was a kid, Fangoria would get me in trouble. Like having an issue (laughs) with Fangoria would get me in trouble with my grandmother or, you know, with whoever. Um, I mean, even just buying them. I remember like the covers being an issue where they would literally have to like keep them behind the counter or they would have to put a brown paper (laughs) uh, slip over them and they wouldn't let you see them. Um, So, no, it really is amazing to me. And I think that you look at – uh Walking Dead. I think you have to yeah. thank, you know, Walking Dead for making, I, and and uh, I have had nothing to do with, with Walking Dead at all, really directly, in, in any way whatsoever. In point of fact, I wrote a zombie script just before Walking mm-hmm. Dead that got me a lot of attention and got me signed by an agent, uh, by a big agency, and I had people reading my script, and, you know, it was like a zombie script that was big, and then Walking Dead happened, and I felt a little upset about that. Um, but I can't deny that the impact that that show has had on the culture and on horror and the idea of like NC 17 level violence. Go-
1: very gorgeous. I mean,
0: I mean, G- George couldn't have gotten away with some of that. stuff.
1: <laughs> I mean the episode, what's crazy about walking dead is you have kids watching walking dead. Yeah. Like when that show came out, cause I think it started I'm trying to remember the year it started. I was in high school yeah. and I was just into, I had just gotten into Romero. I had just watched Dawn of the dead. It was one of the oh. first horror movies that I had ever really pursued. My first horror movie was psycho at like 12, you know, we didn't watch horror. It. And yeah. then I went to what are classic horror movies I watched it. Dawn of the dead. Wow. Like me and my friends would talk for hours. What What would you do if there was a zombie apocalypse, you know, it became <laughs> part of our dialogue. And then my friend comes in and says, have you seen walking dead? Mm-hmm. What's that? He's like, it's like, Dawn of the Dead, but it's a show and it just keeps going. And, you know, watching that with my family Sunday nights, like we get home from church Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then you sit down and you watch, you know, guts episode three or four. And it's like, they're cutting up zombies and smearing guts onto themselves to blend in. It's like, what right. is this? And this is primetime right. TV, you know, that all of America's watching. It's yeah. it's absolutely crazy. It's you know? huge. It's
0: like, I mean, those, I, I don't know. I don't think they're still at the numbers that they were at, but there was a time three or four seasons it was the, biggest the show. where it was yeah. the biggest show on television. Like Seinfeld. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's zombies, you know. Right. It's, it's insane. So I really do kind of think that Gener- and I love that we're here. I mean, it, it's, I mean, in terms of work, in terms of my interests. I mean, there's nonstop flow of great yeah. stuff to watch, and there's still subversive stuff. There's still stuff on Shutter that's like way, you know, yeah. it's like okay, well, you think that Walking Dead's intense, like okay, well, then there's this where they're doing horrible things. It's like wow, okay, this is really great. So there's still it's still subversive. I feel like, but it's also super duper mainstream, and I feel yeah. like it's a gateway uh, to other things uh, for horror. Um, You know, watching, but I I really have to kind of, I can't deny that Walking Dead just it really, I, you know, and I think there's a lot of, you know, Saw, the Saw movies definitely becoming that torture porn era, uh, becoming a big thing that was a communal thing to go every Halloween to go every October. Oh, it's if it's Halloween, it must be Saw. Um, So I feel like generationally speaking, those things uh, uh, definitely uh, have made it way more mainstream, way more mainstream than when I kind of broke in, which, you know, arguably has anybody broke in Did I ever really break in. Um, but when I sold like, you know, the, that, that script and, and, uh, got signed and was looked like it was going to be a big deal for 10 seconds back in the mid two thousands, I was going in on all those things. It's what you blow up the platinum dunes things. I pitched on some of those didn't mm. get them. Uh, A lot of the remakes, it was a fascinating time to be in Hollywood and in uh, horror because you would write something, a feature script, a feature spec script that would impress people, um, you know, for doing something daring, for doing something interesting with a concept like, oh, we've never seen that, you know, a zombie thing done that way Mm -hmm. or a possession uh, concept done that way, Uh, whatever it was haunted house done in an interesting way and then you would give it to your agents and um your agent would send it out every place and you'd get a thousand meetings and the meetings would be all about we have this movie that we want to remake and we we would like you to pitch to see if you want to write you know write it uh we have this j horror movie that uh we own the rights to and we want to remake it we have this comic book property and we want to you know and so it was, I mean, and I, we're still there. I mean, that's never going to change, I don't think. Um, IP is still king no. in uh, in Hollywood, and I, I think more so. It's just getting kind of worse and worse on that level. But it was a really interesting thing to kind of come in with two or three, you know, scripts that were, you were trying to do something different. You were trying to do something new. And then being asked to just kind of do, you know, well, here's, we want you to remake this. It's like, really? Do we need... remake of that you know and here's the guy here you're talking to the guy who did are you afraid of the dark and day of the dead so it's like well okay like clearly i'm a sellout but you know but it really was an interesting kind of time where all that we were getting in the platinum dunes era were big time hollywood companies that were paying big bucks to make big budget remakes of like the hills have eyes which by the way great remake
1: yeah fantastic
0: remake yeah. um One of the few that
1: might eyes, be better than the original. I mean, I, it's, it's
0: arguable. arguable. I yeah. but you know, I think the Crazies might be better than Romero's original as well. um I love the Crazies remake. I think it's fantastic. But like the Hills Have Eyes and the Crazies, super duper subversive horror films from the 1970s, like yeah. made by that the guys who were in the hits, establishment. I mean, yeah. No, you know, they were drive-in things. That made, you know, the Crazies is kind of B-side. You know what I mean? That's not even yeah. Hills Have Eyes. Is like, well, okay, that was definitely drive-in circuit material. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to me that once that started, it was really Texas Chainsaw Massacre that kicked it off. Um, and I've worked with Marcus Nispel on a couple of projects oh. that have not, I, it's funny cause I've worked with Marcus Nispel on a couple of projects and I've worked with Toby Hooper on a couple of projects oh. that none of you know them came to fruition, but it was really interesting because I got to know them in this era. It was really, you know, yeah. Marcus had done Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We were both at the same agency and, um, And then it was the one-two punch of Texas Chainsaw and then the Zack Snyder, Dawn of the Dead remake. And then the floodgates opened. Everybody just started buying, you know, whatever it was to the point where they're doing Assault on Precinct 13 remakes. And, you know, it's crazy. But like anything that those guys touched, anything that they did, whether it was Piranha or, (laughs) you know, or the crazies, it's like, well, for the crazies, I'm trying to think if there was something I went in on where i just kind of said like guys nobody knows this title why is it so important like it was something where we'd uh, i went in with a director we were pitching a project and it was a remake of christmas evil and it was That's in the a, i love christmas e- Evil. oh so I good love it I, yeah. amazing an amazing movie. If, if your listeners have not watched Christmas evil, Christmas is coming up. You will love buy the blu-ray, buy it and watch it 17 times because it's such a great movie. Um, but, uh, I remember, but it's also like, nobody knows it. And that wasn't even the original title. It was yeah. actually released as something else. It was released as I think, and uh, all through the house or, yeah. uh, I can't remember what the original title was. um, um now I'm like stuck on trying to remember what the original title was, but anyway, um, but it was weird, and I remember kind of fixating um, on I, I, we. It didn't end up working out. There was a rights issue anyway with the the, the whoever it was that owned the rights to Christmas Evil was actually not uh, not selling, at least not to the producers that I was working with, and so I remember kind of saying, "Well, why don't we just do?" Because we had our, our our pitch was really different anyway. It was it was going to be a really far afield remake of Christmas evil. And, um, we just said, why don't we just call it like the 12 deaths of Christmas or, you know, come up with some other kind of fun, scary title. And they were like, yeah, it's the IP. We really just wanted the IP. And it was like, wow. Like we worked a lot on the pitch. We had worked uh, really hard and had some really inventive stuff in it. Um, but they just were like, no, it was just IP. So like there were things. And then I I've been involved with projects in that era that, I worked on for free, and then the rights fell through. The negotiations for the rights fell through. Um, I worked on two different remakes of Hell Knight. Wow. the Linda Blair slashes from 1981. Um, Two different iterations that both times they were killed by the rights being an issue. A lot of
1: these movies that – and all of the ones we're mentioning. I mean, even really – you know, Nightmare on Elm Streets. And, you know, I mean, it was a big hit, obviously, yep. for New Line. But, I mean, look at Hills Have Eyes is better example. Okay. Sleeper hits. You know, VHS right. in the 90s, they became, like, gold. It was, like, right. this movie. Like, I Spit on Your Grave or Christmas Evil. Christmas Evil, mm-hmm. like, I mean, Shudder kind of put it on. And, like, that kind of rediscovered. And it's an yeah. amazing movie. Like, legitimately oh. good movie. The performance in okay. that is amazing. Like, it's on par yeah. with... Like I think, like a Norman Bates, you know, in Psycho. I mean, it's fantastic. Um, totally, and it gets know?
0: crazier and crazier as it goes. Like yeah. I, and the, the thing last thing shot of that
1: movie, I Ugh. won't spoil it for people. I haven't watched it, but like it's, but it's one insane. of the best endings Ugh. of the film. Easily, and you know, so you look at these though, and then you get the rights from people remaking. It. It's like some guy owns it, like some guy in yeah. Long Island owns yes. the, the film right. print, you know. And right. so it's funny, like. When these films try to get remade, it's like easier to remake Friday Thirteenth because there's something. Well, not now. It's a bad example. Um, <laughs> but it's,
0: I better. mean that that clearly is going to get better. Yeah. All, you know, but
1: but again, even that though, it's because they were such small movies. Like a contract wasn't a legit contract, and there's all right, these problems. Right. Uh, yeah. I gotta I gotta ask you um, mm-hmm. as much as I want to talk about Marcus Nesbitt because Texas. Uh-huh. I'll just say Texas Chainsaw 2003. Is phenomenal and and oh, I great. loved his his work on that and Danny like Pearl me. coming back and just proving he still got it. Me too. Um, I got to talk movie. about IP because this is something sure. that came up. Uh, I interviewed B.J. McDonald recently uh, who mm-hmm. did Hatchet Hatchet Three, and mm-hmm. we talked about paying homage to past projects. And he talked about how much he loves the '80s. Um, I don't think that's mm-hmm. an uncommon sentiment right now. No. Nope. Um, but he said, you know, the world's kind of saturated with people trying to mimic that look, but not really yes. hitting it. And, you know, it is right now trendy, you know, Wonder Woman 84 or uh, creating shows that are set like Stranger Things, which, you know, I got burned out on, you know, kind of doing that aesthetic. Sure. How do you, you've taken, are you afraid of the dark? Mm-hmm. Jury's out on you know, how we all think about day of the dead. There's no right. pressure
0: there, but you know, how do you, <laughs> we're never going to make fan? people happy on that, by the way, how do you, <laughs> I'm sorry,
1: go ahead. As a fan approaching this IP that matters to you, day of the uh-huh. dead Romero, yes. that matters to you. Are you afraid of the dark? Yes. You're coming in it with love of anthology and creep yes. show and all this. Yes. How do you step into that? Make it fresh and new, but not feel like you're just laying into the value. The IP already has like just basically cheaply taking it like, like, Like say for example, you take Night of Living Dead and releases an Mm -hmm. anime movie and just try to capitalize on it. How how do you not do that?
0: I and it's it sucks because a lot of I mean that's I'm I am I'm as upset about animated Night of Living Dead as a lot of people online are, Um, and it sucks because we're being Day of the Dead's kind of been lumped in. I feel like there are these articles right now where it's like. And so it's like, insult to injury is the animated Night of the Living Dead. And oh, by the way, uh, yeah. there's this awful sci-fi channel, Day of the Dead thing, that no one's seen yet. It's like, how can yeah. you say it's awful? Stephen Kostansky directed the episode that I wrote. Like, how? Yeah. are you kidding me? You've got to give this thing a chance. Uh, but we're never going to make those people happy. I, like, we, They're never going to watch it. They're going to hate it sight unseen. And then hopefully it'll find its own audience. And that's yeah. kind of where I'm at because we did we port. We have some really solid writers on that show and it was a lot of fun. We had a great time going through it. And you know, the idea, so the it's funny because Are You Afraid of the Dark and Day of the Dead almost had kind of different mandates. So they're both kind of different examples. So in Are You Afraid of the Dark's case, it really was about making sure that we brought back the mood and the that we were res- respectful and brought the show back. Mm-hmm. Um, Nickelodeon didn't want to do it as an anthology, in, until we were done, and they were like, "Okay, well now it's going to be the uh, uh, the American Horror Story equivalent of an anthology, mm-hmm. which is that every season's going to be new." Um, which kind of sucked for us because we were then like, "Well, I, then we're out. We're not doing it anyway." You know, I only worked on the first the first season with Ben David uh, Ben David Grubinsky, who was the writer and the showrunner. Um, and it's important for me to point out that he wrote all of those episodes. I was the staff writer. And so I was basically the sounding board and we worked creatively, you know, kind of hand in hand on developing, uh, the concepts and the the plot lines for all the, all three of the episodes. It was an event series that was in 2019. Um, but that was really about making sure that we hit everything about the Midnight Society and, you know, um how they operate. It was like, okay, well, let's deconstruct this. Let's make this about them on a level where it's like, okay, in 2020, you know, in 2019, where, where is the midnight society now? And our idea was that it never stopped, that it was that it kept going. It evolved. There are probably chapters all over the world. There's probably different, you know, places that you probably have like a kind of a, a fight club kind of, you know, high sign that you would know when you were in town, if there was a, if there was a midnight society. And so, um, but we really did like one of my jobs on are you afraid of the dark was to kind of go back and watch all of it before we started tough job. Um, and, well, <laughs> no, and it was, crazy, yeah, yeah. you know, and the, so here's the interesting thing. So, and I, I had my own little personal journey on are you afraid of the dark was really interesting because I was, I'll just flat out say it. I was too old for are you afraid of the dark mm. when it premiered, when it came on, when it was on, I was in my twenties. Yeah. So, as much as I am a horror anthology guy, I was too old for it. It was, it was a show for kids and I was already, you know, well out of high school at that point. So it's like I was in my twenties. So I didn't really, I'd seen a couple episodes, but I didn't really know the show. Um, I never had any kind of negative opinion of it. I never was like, Oh, that kid stuff. It was just like, I just, our, our paths never really crossed. And it made sense. Demographically, I was not the right guy for it. Um, it was geared towards a younger crowd. So when I got the job, which was a total, like lucky thing, I said the right thing at the right time and, and Mm. got, got that that gig. Um, and I had to jump through some hoops. I had to prove myself. Um, I really didn't know anything about the show. I had vague kind of cultural knowledge uh, of it. And so they said, okay, look, we want you to come on, but we really need you to be, you know uh steeped we need you to be the guy that that stops us if we're going too far down the wrong road so i uh bought the digital version and and uh you know i had to kind of the digital versions are not in order you have to actually i had to do all this research as to like which episode came next and where it was in the volume 3 volume 5 like it's so bizarre they they don't have them set up chronologically so I sat and I watched them and I took notes on every single episode and I, beca- I fell in love with the show. And I was amazed as an adult how great the show was, how solid it was, how scary it was, how atmospheric it was. And budget wise, I still am mystified how much that original show must have. I don't know how much it cost. But watching it, it's impressive as all hell. I don't know how they afforded to do some of the things that they did on that show. So I am becoming a fan of it. I also do uh, horror trivia, monthly horror trivia uh, out here in Burbank. Uh, we're kind of on hiatus right now because of the COVID stuff, but, but we, we, we do that. And so people started to find out, you know, it became, it was publicized. It's like, okay, Jared's involved with the show. And we have a real varying age range. We have, you know, older folks that come that are, you know, and I mean, they're into horror from the 70s and the the Mm 60s and the 80s as well. But they are also they're into the universal stuff. They're in the older stuff. But then we have kind of my generation. And then we have kind of this next generation. We have people coming that are in their late teens and 20s to, to every event. And, um, which makes it challenging by the way, because you really do have to know like everything yeah. about everything to, to <laughs> ask questions and be an expert so that you're not, if they catch you, then you're screwed. Like if, as soon as you, they realize that you don't actually know what you're talking about, you're dead. So what happened at some of these events as the, are you afraid of the dark thing started to really pick up and the get publicized and, and announced? Um, I had younger people coming up to me and saying, you you're working on all your of the dark. I was like, yeah, like, and they were like, no, you don't know, like that was my gateway drug. That was that's what got me into horror, and like, they're a screenwriter now, or you know, they're mm-hmm. they're an actor now who is like invested in horror, like huge fans. And it's like, oh my god! And then I realized, and I've talked about this with Ben David too. It's like, oh man, this is an important thing that we're doing, and I'm going to treat it that way. I'm going mm-hmm. to be the, you know, the, the custodian, you know, of this, it's, I'm only going to be involved with it for sure. I would love to continue to be involved with it, but this is the short, this is the short little time while we're working on this. And Ben David had the exact same thing. This is the most important thing. Are you afraid of the dark doing, are you afraid of the dark right is the most important thing in our lives Hmm. for this, this period. And it really was. And it was so much fun to work on and It was so much fun to not only, kind of dip back into their mythology. And like I said, kind of explore how, cause they, that was one of the things that the show, the show did it later in, in, in the, they, they had their own kind of secondary revival season that, that came out and they did have kind of this, uh, big, uh, mythology, um, no. uh, a multi-part episode. Um, but we wanted to kind of show it, you know, like I said, from 2019 and say like, okay, what is it now? And, and how do you get in and how do you do this? And, um, we were kind of bummed that we couldn't do the anthology thing. Cause that was the format. We we're like, that's the format. We kind of said like, that's kind of the show guys. Like, you know, and then it's like, well, okay. Do you not want to do it? Like, no, 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 we want to do it. But it yeah. really was like, you know, either it's a narrative story with characters that run through multiple episodes or you're not doing it. So it's like, yeah. okay, well, then we're going to make the best of this that we can. And so Ben David, Ben David was a fan. Ben David's a, a little younger than me and he was, that was his gateway drug to horror. And so it, it, it was just kind of getting the right guys to have the love and the, the, the care to yeah. make sure that we handled that material um, the way that we did. And um, I, I've, the reaction was great. It's probably of the things that I've had my name on. I think it's the one that's had the best positive reactions mm. um jackals is kind of 50 50 um and uh but are you afraid of the dark definitely is something where i have you know people still reach out to me and because the people keep rediscovering it just it just popped up on netflix for the mm-hmm. first time uh on october 1st and i had a mm-hmm. bunch of new reactions that's the fun thing about streaming yeah. i'll get people that just watch jackals as though it's brand new and they just you know they, they reach out to me they'll they'll dm me or they'll send me an email or they'll reach out to me and be like oh wow i just saw this thing and it's like "Yeah, that was like, i did that in like 2015 like it's, it's really old for me but sure you know great i'm glad yeah. But yeah so it's like streaming being something where people are discovering and a lot more people are seeing are you afraid of the dark right now which is really exciting to me
1: yeah. um
0: but it really was about um you know the the love and respect of the original show. Now, Day of the Dead was interesting because that was a legit. Um, I occasionally work with a writing partner who's named Wilder Konshak, and he and I were. Uh, he's a comedy guy, and I'm a horror guy. So whenever we whenever we both have kind of horror comedy ideas, that's when we work together. And um, we had heard that there was a Day of the Dead series uh, that was moving forward. And a lot of times by the time you hear these things, like in Deadline Hollywood or in the Hollywood Reporter, they're already put together. It's already put together. It's like they've already shot, you know, the pilot or whatever. Um, Maybe even if it's just done and you're just hearing about it as though it's a new thing. And so nine times out of 10, you see these things and it's like, oh man, you know, Interview with a Vampire is a series. Hey, Hmm. agents, look into this for me and find out if there's, oh, they're already, that's already closed up. They've already got a staff. So I just assumed it was another one of those, but it was like, oh, Day of the Dead. I mean, like, my God, because that's the thing, like I, we're going to get, we're already getting a lot of, you know, shit from hardcore fans. I am the biggest Romero fan that I know. And so it's painful to me to see yeah. the stuff that without, again, sight unseen, but we went in, we got the job. And the first thing, and I uh, you know, Scott's uh, uh, Scott Thomas uh, and Jed Elionov are the two, the showrunners and head writers. Scott is just as big of a horror fan yeah. as I am. And their whole, what they sold the show on was the idea. So, you know, you have to now. again, I didn't sell the show. I'm not the showrunner. So I don't exactly know what, um, it's the same producers, by the way, that do creep show, uh, yeah, for shutter. Yeah. 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 Uh, It's this company called the cartel and and a couple of other, it's the same. It's all the same. When you look at the credits, like the deep credits to the executive producers and all stuff, it's all the same guys that do creep show. Um, I don't know, you know, creep show gets a pass, but we don't, but anyway, um, so they went in, they must've been, uh, Jed and Scott, they went in with a pitch and the idea was that they must've been hearing, you know, the cartel guys and the rights holders for day of the dead must've been hearing a lot of different pitches. Now, to me, when you're going to do day of the dead as a TV series, what is it going to be? It's going to be walking dead. It's going to be the show that's been on mm-hmm. making, you know, so, okay. So that's already been done and it's still being done. You know, there's still, there's all spinoffs and, and, yeah. you know, whatever the case is. And people are so starting to
1: get burned out on that. Getting style.
0: Out. Yeah, It's like, okay, well, so I'm sorry, but if you're going to make a TV series out of day of the dead, it's going to be walking dead. So they went in and they are kind of comedy guys who have also, they did the banana splits movie, which oh, is insane. If you haven't yeah. seen it. Um, and so they are coming at it from kind of a horror comedy perspective, almost more of a return of the living dead type of thing. And so they came in with this pitch that was more of a horror comedy. That was a little bit more kind of like, let's mess with this a little bit. Let's do something different. Why is, why is respecting George mean that you just, I mean, I think that some fans would say, well, you just don't do it. Just don't, don't do it at all. But it's like, well, but it was a gig. And so they said, look, they went in. They pitched their horror comedy version of Day of the Dead, which, by the way, is kind of a literal interpretation of the Day of the Dead. It's basically like 24. The show is all set. The entire first 10 episode season is set in one day.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: The Day day of the Dead. That's Um, a
1: great concept. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Exactly. So like they said, we went in, we pitched. It's like it's this crazy small town and it's day one of the day of the of, of the zombie outbreak and we're going to do things a little different and we're going to do things a little crazy and we're going to do things a little over the top Steve Kostansky style who wasn't involved with the show when I came up, but when I found out that they got him wow. it was like oh my god that, that's wow. perfect this is perfect yeah. and he has his composer on I mean like it's going to be really cool so people are kind of writing you know writing it off already um, which bums me out but at the end of the day it was like okay so do, so what, what Jed and Scott said was do we not take the job? Like It's yeah. the same thing like Are You Afraid of the Dark? It's like, well, okay, you want to do it as an anthology. We don't. Are you leaving or are yeah. you staying? Um, so this was a situation where it was like, well, they called them up and said, we love this concept. Write a pilot and start putting a staff together. And it was went straight to series, by the way. It was not something where they had to make a pilot and then kind of, you know... Um, so they had a 10 episode order out of the gate. So it was like a real rush situation right when COVID started, we was all zoom. We did the entire writing staff was done via zoom was done like this. So, um, they said, do you not do it? Like, and it was like, well, no, like a, it's a job. Like it's running a TV show. It's running a horror comedy TV show. Like, do you realize how big this is for us? They do stuff for, for Nickelodeon, coincidentally, and, Mm -hmm. and for Disney channel and things like that. Um, so like, the idea that they got this job. It's like, okay, well, we're gonna do it. And we know, and we had multiple conversations about how it was gonna be. Now this is back in, I think we started in March or April of 2020. Yeah. Um, and we went through uh, June, I think, of, or July writing. And I was involved with my with with Wilder, uh, uh, my co-writer, from, we we developed the entire season. So like when I say that we wrote episode three, that's the script that we were assigned to write but we worked on the whole show. Um, and the one, I mean, one that I had a lot of, that I have, I feel a lot of authorship of is episode eight, because that's the, I, I really feel like I kind of started to click and get really into mm-hmm. like, oh, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. Um, but it was an interesting experience, you know, to, to have a, a, a Zoom only staff, uh, you know, writing. But um, so we all worked on it together and you had, you know, uh, horror people in there, like me and Scott, and then we just had great writers. We had um, the writer of Idle Hands hmm. uh, was on it, Terry, Terry Burton. Um, and so, you know, we had some fantastic people. So it really was, again, and, and I was, again, the horror expert guy. So there would always be, and Scott and Thomas and I, so there would always be this like, oh, we want to do something like this. And I was like, well, we've kind of seen that in this we've kind of seen this you know like oh we should avoid that because you know this other movie or this other tv show has done it so kind of being the zombie expert was was one of my roles but it really was about kind of taking the original day of the dead the elements of the original day of the dead and doing something different and fun and cool and kind of crazy with it um so it was entirely different as a as an upfront mandate than Are You Afraid of the Dark, which was, you know, make it exactly like, bring right. back the feeling of that.
1: Well, it's it's a huge responsibility, and I know yeah. you're aware of that, you know, as a, as a horror fan. Day of the Dead is, is my favorite Romero movie. Romero's my favorite director. I mean, yes. there's nobody who, I mean, there's nobody like Romero to me um you know and even social issues even the way he tackles I mean I could say anything that's already been said about him I mean it it to me you know if Romero is god I mean Day of the Dead is the bible I mean like he is he <laughs> yeah. to me that is the peak of his his talents, Savini's talents, Lori Cardell is the best character in any of his films. Mm-hmm. Rhodes is the best villain in any of his films. Bub is the best yeah. zombie in any of his films. I mean, it, that movie to me, Greg Nicotero working on that movie with, you know, like, it is a masterpiece, you know. And in John yes. Harrison's score, you want to talk scores? Uh, my favorite yeah. horror score is that. I have it on, mm-hmm. final. I mean, like, I me love too. that. That, oh, yeah. That, um, that soundtrack, you know, yep. just that boop 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 all flying in is like <laughs> yes, yep. let's go. Oh, it's
0: fantastic. And,
1: and best one of the best jump scares, The Hands to the Wall. The first time I watched that movie, I was like, Holy crap, like what in yep. the world? First two seconds going into uh-huh. the movie. So yep. coming into it, you know, when when I first heard it was announced, I remember whispers of it when it first got announced that we're gonna do it, because you know, screen rant and all of them are running, like, oh, it's gonna be a failure and planting those seeds. Right. Yes. And For me initially, I was like anybody, I'm like, why? Like, that's the one don't touch, you know? Like, I love remakes. Like, I'm okay with it. That's, like I said, that's how I get introduced to so much. Then Day of the Dead, I'm like, that's the perfect movie, though. Like, don't touch that. And then, you know, I started thinking and I was like, you know, okay, well, maybe it's going to be like the script Romero wrote, which ended up kind of becoming Land of the Dead, where it's going to be the full-scale government. But then I was like, well, that's that's The Walking Dead, you know? And- and I'll be honest, so then I watched the the trailer, and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the trailer. Setting aside, I was like, this is interesting. This is kind of the style. Steven um, Katansky, like, yep. Leprechaun Returns <laughs> is, is, like, I haven't seen The Void yet, um, which I, uh, I hate to admit. Check Steven it out. Steven Katansky with Leprechaun Returns. I've yep. watched that movie so many times and I've I've probably recommended that as a new horror movie to more people. Yeah. And it, it it was a sci-fi original movie. It yes. wasn't of theatrical, it, but, but the gore is amazing. The performances, mm-hmm. Pepe Sanuga in that movie is so good. Mm-hmm. And I have like a little micro fandom just for her. I mean, she's so good in yeah. all the horror movies she's been doing. Yeah. And it's just, it was it was excellent. So him being involved made me comfortable with the tone. And then with you, you were somewhat of an unknown. I was looking at people working on the show. I was like, I got to talk to a writer on this because (laughs) I got to know how you tackle the inspired by George Romero. Right. Um, Which I was happy to see that too. Like the inspired by it gives you a lot of license. Yeah. But looking at you. So I I watched Shackles for the first time. Right. And I'll, I'll take a second just to hype you up, but (laughs) I watched Jackals maybe four or five days ago, and okay. my wife comes in. She's like, "I hate this. This is terrifying." She <laughs> and but I watched Yay. the opening scene: walking up, uh-huh. petting the dog, um, you right. know, putting the mask on, the right. Reagan picture on the frame, yeah. like all these touches that are like very <laughs> intentionally written in. I don't know if that right. was just you or if that was a mix of the director making choices, but I was like both. I watched after booking you. So I, I, yeah. I had in my mind Carpenter, Romero, Hooper. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, well, Carpenter, obviously. This <laughs> opening scene <laughs> totally. is Carpenter. And this is clearly right. written to be a Carpenter homage. The Reagan yeah. on the Night sounds like there's a little Romero already happening with the prayer, the Christian family saving someone yes. from the cult. Right, right, you've right. Got, you know, a Night of Living Dead siege movie mm-hmm. happening in the backwoods a la Texas Chainsaw Massacre with a mask. you know, and it's and right. got like these weird strange, you know, Toby Hooper-esque torture porn elements happening, yes. you know, in yep. the middle. And so for me, I was blown away. Like I, I was expecting kind of like the, the strangers, you know, my wife even said, she's like, is this kind of like the strangers? And I was like, I'm not a fan yeah. of the strangers personally, right. um, but I want, I was just like, this is incredible. Like it's incredible that this evokes all of this cinema that I love and mm-hmm. all of these old films that laid the groundwork for movies like this to exist, but thank it's you. its own thing. Like, there's mm-hmm. not when I look at Jackals, I don't go like, "Oh, that's like a Halloween ripoff," or "That's a right." It's a chainsaw. It's very distinctly its own thing, while also being an amalgamation of of many things. So, thank you. Watching that, wow. watching, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You know, good, good work. <laughs> thank on you that. so much. <laughs> um, but it is. It, it really is. And and you yeah. know, with that, with Steve, like, who he's somebody that I'm just. I mean, like I said, Leprechaun Returns, like it's just a well-directed movie. Oh, uh, yeah. And it, it's, it, you know, seeing those two things together, mm-hmm. I feel very comfortable now. Whereas mm-hmm. like a few years ago, <laughs> I was going to be like, right, Jared, Rivet, whoever. This right, right. Did, why totally. is he totally. watching this, you know? Totally, totally, um, totally. Oh, no. But, yeah, but who the hell But when you look I, at the yeah. work, it's like, it's like this isn't a cash grab. Yeah. The, here's the here's the thing. Here's the point I'm getting at is that the studio going to make Day of the Dead mm-hmm. anyway. Anybody mm-hmm. who has that IP is going to make it. It's guaranteed yeah. to make money either from hate watches <laughs> or yeah. people who are passionate fans. And they have
0: been, by the way. Like, yeah. we're, oh we're like my the, God. Fifth, oh. we're the fifth oh spin off, you know, revision, reimagine. I've watched Day of, Day of the, of the, of the
1: Dead. Dead Contagium. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. done my time. <laughs> I watched uh, Mina Savari in uh, Day of the Dead 2008, uh, which Jonathan I'm sure she's Sheck. great, but the movie is.
0: Jonathan- Jonathan Sheck, the lead from Jackal, one of the leads from Jackals is in, that, he plays the Bub, the, the yeah. kind of new Bub. Oh, in the theme. new one,
1: Bloodline. Yeah. The
0: new one, yeah, right. which I I avoided watching. Yeah, film, they're so yeah.
1: they're going to do it. And it's like, right. it's like for me, I feel at ease now. When I watched the opening scene of Jackals, mm-hmm. I I literally was kind of like, okay, <laughs> I feel comfortable <laughs> that this person's taking on because there's so many people that are doing Again, Stranger Things, I burnt out on after the first season because it was like, here's your favorite scene from this. Right. And it's like, that's not it. It, it, It's, it's, you know, here is what you love. Right. Let's take it in a new direction. And I think for me, that's what I'm kind of expecting from Day of the Dead. I, I want to ask you. You know, and maybe I'll be calling angrily in like seven days, you know, or three <laughs> days. Uh, but I got to ask you for my audience listening, because I know yeah. there's people listening who are going to click and go like, let's see what trash is going to say about this to make us more right. mad about this.
0: Right, 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 You know,
1: for people who are sitting there going like, here's what we, you know, what can we expect? Blank slate. Tell us what this is going to be. Uh, what can people expect from the series, you know, dropping the 15th? I mean, it's coming
0: It's really quick. I'm I'm excited. Um, I'm I'm excited too. Um, And uh, it's it's not about, you know, uh, uh, George Romero did the masterpiece version. Why mess with the version? It's exactly Mm. what you said. Um, We're doing something different. We're doing something fun. We're doing something that is a little bit more, Uh, Return of the Living Dead in a kind of small town um, on day one. And it really is over the top. It really is, you know, Stephen Kostansky style. And again, did not know that he was doing it when we originally started on the project. Um, But once they said that he was involved, it was like, it just all clicked to me. It's like, oh, okay, this is going to be fun and scary and gory Mm -hmm. and you know but it's going to be something that is inspired by george in the best way which is that if if i'm inspired you you saw jackals if i'm inspired by george romero i'm not going to just copy you know we're not the animated night living dead we're not just going to copy what he did we're going to be inspired by it and build on it and maybe take things in new directions, which, you know, I don't know that, you know, I I have, I, I will not be the guy don't, you know, I'm not going to be like Oh no. He said that you know George Romero would approve of it. I don't know that he would or he wouldn't. I yeah, don't know sure. that he would be upset. I, I, I you know, I, I don't think he was very happy with Walking Dead. I don't think that he was very happy with any of the stuff that was done to his work. You well, know. he's an
1: auteur. I think I think he had his very distinct vision. Yeah, and I think he he was very kind. I think to Greg and and Walking Dead and totally. and, and all that, and yeah. and even to. Um, Zack Snyder's remake, you know, he said it's a fun roller coaster ride for what it is, but it's not what I would have made, you know? And I think that's a fair, it's a fair thing, you know?
0: And if it weren't for the Dawn of the Dead remake, he wouldn't have gotten to make Land of the
1: Dead. Dead. Gotten a $15 million budget (laughs) to go crazy, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, so that's absolutely. So, I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's, we, we worked really hard on the show and we worked really hard to create fun, characters that you hopefully will want to, you know, watch how they keep dealing with the situation. And like I said, the day, every episode basically being kind of an hour of a day or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's loosely defined because it's not 24 and we only have 10 episodes. It's like, well, okay, it's not 10 hours of a day. It's, you know, it'll, it'll get dark. Eventually there'll be episodes that will be set set at night. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's mostly day, day of the dead. Um, So it's just, it's a crazy zombie variation that i hope people will give a chance to because we're doing some things that i personally haven't seen before Mm. in a zombie show and you know if doing it because the rights holders of day of the dead wanted to make a tv series out of day of the dead and they let us make this then it's like then i feel like it's 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 justified itself because it's Mm. not just copying or ripping off george i think that we're the opposite of the night of the living dead animated uh, movie, because it's like, they just took and they didn't even credit George. It's like, that's terrible. We're, we're, you know, I, I think that the ad people are putting George a little bit over, you know, on day of the Dead's ad stuff. It's like, okay, we get it. Like you're trying, I think they're trying to kind of make sure that we're getting some of the Romero fans. Yeah. Yeah. But we're trying to, you know, trying to get them to at least respect the idea that to at least watch the show before you destroy it. Um, But I am so – I had a great time working with people that really – I mean, it changed the way that I write things and the way that I work on things for the better. Mm -hmm. I feel like a better writer since I worked on Day of the Dead. Um, And um, I think it's just going to be a lot of fun and something that people, if they let go of, you know – uh, where, where is Rickles, where is, you know, and we do, we have characters, we have, we, we, we have characters with the, with the names and we kind of, they're,
1: I was going to ask if Rhodes was kind to be similarities, right? It, There's Rhodes yeah.
0: and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we have that, but we're doing it in kind of an interesting way where there are equivalent characters. Um, so it's going to be uh, fascinating to watch, especially for me as I don't know where I would be as a horror fan on it. I think I would be, I would probably be dubious, but I would also give it a shot. I would also yeah. at least watch it and see what That's I thought of it.
1: Everyone but talking you have to, trash is going to watch it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you have to let it, it go. And like you said, we really are in this era where you have so many reboots and so many remakes and some of them are, you know, straight up just kind of doing it again, but some of them are great and you have to give them all a chance so i'm just saying you know out there to you guys give us a chance you gave creep show a chance uh you know give give day of the dead a chance um because i i'm super duper proud of it and i mean i i think steven's you know like you said leprechaun returns i i love leprechaun returns i loved it's so good because i'm a fan of the franchise i actually really like the leprechauns and um i went back and looked at them not too long ago i got that the Lionsgate Mm. Blu-ray box set. And I was like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm going through and I'm going to watch them all. Not in one sitting, mind you, but you know, over the span. And um, I was fascinated by the idea. This is pre Steven's sequel, pre Leprechaun returns. Um, I was fascinated that they had never made a direct sequel. That he's, He's TriMark, Vidmark, they had this thing where like the Warlock and the Wishmaster and the Leprechaun where every movie they were basically like a new character. Yeah. Like the Leprechaun in two isn't doesn't have the same backstory yeah. as the Leprechaun in one. And they in one of the later sequels, they actually like, Oh, the leprechaun is this guy. And it's an like, anthology of sorts. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's weird. I mean, it's, it's always Warwick Davis, and he's always got the same attitude and he's always got the same, you know, kind of uh, you know, um uh at you know, he's he's his line delivery and everything. It's like what's well, the same dude. Um, so I was always kind of fascinated. The only thing that bummed me out was that they couldn't get him to come back, yeah. but I thought the guy they got was great. And mm. I love that it was a direct sequel. I love that they went back to the house and they brought back the actor, uh, from the first one. I mean, so no, he's great. And if you haven't seen PG psycho Gorman, uh, you got to watch it. It's insane. It's a movie made by and for insane people. Yeah. Right. And it's so gory. It's so nuts and so fun. I mean, um, I mean,
1: Leprechaun, yeah. man, like the the yeah. the the scene. Because I I I mean, sci-fi was hit or miss, you know, for me, like on a lot of so, stuff for a while. I think they took a while to find who they are, and I think they're actually yeah. doing a lot of interesting stuff, like Channel Zero, and you know, amazing yeah. now, yeah. very interesting, amazing original content. I think for a while they were like, are we just the Sharknado people? Are we this? Right. And and um, and man, like the sprinkler into someone's head and like spraying the blood. And I was like, who made this? Like, what is yeah. this? You know? And yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited. I mean, like he's somebody that I'm just fascinated by. I think he's someone to watch as well. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really interested to see what he does next. And, and, Me too. You, you know, Me too. it's, it's just, there's so many creative people again, like I, I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, I feel at ease, like I'm ready, you know, and also, it's like leprechaun in a sense in, in that you know wwe didn't exactly drop the mic when they took on the leprechaun series you know right, uh um, right. and same oh, with day of the dead i mean mm. the bar is low right now for remakes of day of the dead you know right. it, day of the dead contagion you know day of the dead uh, Bloodline and right. day of the dead 2008 i mean all really missed any point of what it is you know yeah. and you know i'm excited to see where this goes. I think people that watch it, I think are going to be excited about where it goes. And and like I said, I mean, even if it doesn't, I mean, it just makes me feel better whenever this stuff is in the hands of fans, you know? Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, I mean, there's directors I can think of right now who've taken on even original projects where it's like, I'm just happy I'm supporting them, <laughs> you know, like I'm right, happy I'm right, supporting, like even, yeah. even going into the Halloween, you know, like I was, yeah. I was following shockwaves and listen to Ryan Turek and I'm like, even right. if Halloween sucks, I'm so happy <laughs> Ryan gets to make this movie, you know, yeah. cause it's like, that's awesome. You know, like so, it's cool. Uh, Someone who's a Research-wise,
0: research-wise, I don't know if you know this, but Ryan Turek and I used to be roommates.
1: Really? I didn't know yeah. that.
0: Yeah, we were oh. best friends and roommates. We're still friends, but uh, we used to be much closer. But uh, yeah, we were <laughs>
1: roommates.
0: Um, hey, Ryan, girl, so
1: a- uh, would love to have you on the show. There you go. Uh-
0: <laughs> yeah, no, Ryan. Um, so no, it's been wild to, uh, we've both had our own kind of trajectories, but it's been wild to kind of watch him kind of, you know, go through the success Become the what, levels.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, look, and here's where I can say too. like coming, I'm 26, you know, like I came into horror, I'm, I'm a baby. I'm a I'm a horror fan baby. You know, but I've I've been doing my homework. Okay, I've been working yeah. on it and yeah. going back and, and you know, like I said, now the majority of the movies I watch are pre, 80s. I mean, pre 90s. Like it's it's right. it's getting to learn this stuff. But I look at people, you know, look at people like you, look at people like Ryan, look at people like you know Steve Catanzi, and and they're creating again the responsibility. You know, I right. I think of. Shockwaves, you know, when it was running in, the, in that mm-hmm. podcast, and yeah. and I would be sitting there going, "Like, I love this, 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 and this," and then right. I would sit and listen to them say, "If you like this, you need to go listen or watch this." Yep. And you know, uh, this is kind of a personal story, but like, I went to I drove to L.A. for Friday Night Frights to watch Texeintel mm-hmm. Massacre One, Two, and Three on the big screen, Caroline, oh Williams right, and everything,
0: yeah,
1: and um, and I just remember like out of the corner of my eye seeing like Ryan Turek yeah. over. Yeah just off to the side. And then, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm like, and Caroline Williams is there who yeah. like texting solid massacre. She's my favorite text. She's on movie. It's so weird oh, and crazy. fantastic. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like, it's so cool seeing the generations of horror mm-hmm. passing it on. And then you see the guy, you know, running the event and then, like, a few weeks later, it's like, oh, he's getting to do a Sonic movie. And he has, like, this massive budget. Yes. You know, it's like... Yeah, Josh, he, Josh it's just Yeah, it's just so cool. Yeah, yeah Josh Miller. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's just cool seeing of all of that play out, you know? Yeah. And then it's exciting, too, because I'm seeing people in my bracket that are now making movies. And it's like, there's so many layers and so much history behind all of these projects being made. And it's just yeah. cool seeing now, if now is an era of anything... It's right. like the era of like fans getting to pay tribute, you know, like yeah. that's really exciting to me. And that's what, yeah. for me, I'm, I'm excited. Like even the license plate in the trailer, it's like GAR, you know, it's like, right, right, right. oh, so cool. You know, like that, <laughs> right. those little things that just up a studio, just trying to cash in, isn't going right. to take the time to do that. You know, it's, right, really, right, right.
0: it's no. really special. And I agree with you. So Josh, Josh and I are really good friends. Josh is in, um, Josh, come on the (laughs) podcast. Yeah, exactly. Josh is, he's, he's a great guy. Um, Josh was in my, uh, Tales from the Dead of Night. Uh, first, the first Earbud Theater episode that I did, I'm I'm working on that right now. I'm working on Tales from the Dead of Night 2, but, uh, Tales from the Dead of Night 1 for Earbud Theater, uh, which is something I'm, I'm going to pimp. Um, but, uh, he was in the first episode, uh, uh, in the second segment. It's an anthology. It's very Mm. much my creep show. Um, But uh, yeah, it's a three-story anthology, and he's—he was—he plays one of the leads in the second. Uh, oh wow, story. amazing! Um, but he and I go way back, and uh, another great guy. And I mean, how good was Sonic? Oh, yeah, like oh I was—I uh, couldn't uh, believe it.
1: Yeah, I—I I was, uh, yeah, because I didn't know who Josh. Is. I met Josh Miller at Friday Night frights. I'd never been before. Sure. I just saw it promoted, whatever, and was like, I gotta go see text yeah. and *Saw* on the big screen. Like, duh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Me and my yeah. friend drove. I think down. I was at
0: that screening as well, by the way. Oh, you were there? I think so.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. It so sounds we, familiar. My friend and I drove down from, I live in Southern California, so he drove from Fresno. I drove from like Banning, California, like near Palm mm-hmm. Springs, go there, like sit in the movie. And then like, I was going getting food right before and like, I'm talking to this nice guy there. And yeah. then like, he gets up on the stage and he's like, Hey guys, I host Friday night yeah. frights. I'm
0: Josh Miller. Oh, yeah. And then, and then no like, airs, huh? no airs at all. He's, he is down to earth guy. Anybody. Oh yeah. No, I ju- he was just like, how's everything dude. going? Do
1: you like everything? And yeah. so I was like, yeah, cool. Whatever. Love and then, you know, and then like literally a few weeks later, it's like, Oh, gets the Sonic movie. I was like, what They gotta do in the Texas chainsaw <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, and the trailer yeah. drops, it gets hate. And then the movie drops and you know, I watched yeah. it with my daughter. I was like, this is freaking amazing. Like, this yeah. is so good. So well-written, such a creative yeah. take on it. Like, But again, it's fans. You can just tell, like in Sonic, you can tell that someone that loves that property and it's somebody that loves, like, they love movies. You know, there's just so much fun
0: in it. I couldn't, I mean, you know, I know we're not going to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog for, for another hour, but 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 honestly, yeah, sure. I said, honestly, <laughs> I was blown away. And I am the guy that always says, you know, I'm, I, I've got the chip on the shoulder about video game adaptations. And I'm always like, mm-hmm. they're never good. They never make, they have never made a good video game adaptation. They've never, you know, where is the video game adaptation, you know, uh, uh, equivalent of Shawshank Redemption? Where mm-hmm. is the video game equivalent of Casablanca? Where is the, you know? And so it's like, it's always... Crappy, like you know, and, and sometimes yeah. they're okay, you know. Sometimes they're yeah. they're all, they're all right, but there's there's never a great one. And I think Sonic kind of broke through. And I know that anybody listening to this is like like that hasn't seen it is going to be like no,
1: you got I mean, it really to watch it. You have to
0: watch it. is so much better than you could possibly expect. And yeah. I can't wait. They're doing the second one. They're working on the second one, and I, oh, I can't I'm wait so to see
1: excited. it. Yeah. I can't excited. wait.
0: So yeah. So that was a fantastic. I think that was the last movie I saw before lockdown in a theater. I right. went. Josh uh, had. He was like, "Hey guys, we're going to." burbank uh, uh here's the screening here's the here's where we're sitting and we all went it was this, this so big cool. coming love fest where we went and we couldn't and you didn't have to lie afterwards yeah you didn't have to come lighting, out afterwards and be the like
1: lighting was good <laughs> you know?
0: yeah, yeah exactly yeah you know and find some <laughs> specific little thing to talk yeah. about so that you wouldn't have oh. to tell him that you hated it. it was like no oh my god you made a great video game movie that yeah. is fun and has a lot of hearts and and yeah, it's I, deserved I was, you're yeah. sitting
1: there as someone who's worked and gotten it, and it's deserved. And yeah, no, totally, yeah, man. Totally. I, I'm great, I'm excited. Great, great, great. I, I I really am pumped for it. I'm excited to share. I'll I'll sure I'll, I'll write you an email once I once I watch it on, on my <laughs> thoughts on it. Um, I'm I'm really excited. This is one of my. <laughs> again, favorite. I mean, it's my favorite Romero movie. It's, it's, you know, Laurie Cardell in that movie uh, to me, I mean, on par with a Ripley or, I mean, it's just such a powerful, powerful movie. Yeah. It's
0: pre Ripley. That's yeah. the thing that always blows me away. And people, I saw in the theater. Uh, my mother had to take me because it was, it was, uh, unrated yeah. and it was, you know, no one under 17 without, uh, you know, um, and what a cool I think mom it, to take oh she was the great yeah yeah she's great <laughs> she's great and yeah she took me to day of the dead because it was the thing Is like we were both she and i were both huge fans of night and dawn and so mm-hmm. it was like hey hey because I, I i was 85 i would have been you know 13 or 14 i guess 12 or 13. so i was way too young uh when that came out <laughs> summer of 85. um and um but i was sneaking into r-rated movies you know, I was already, you know, kind of well-versed in just kind of, you know, getting in uh, however I wanted to. But this was like, okay, well, A, this is really important. Like, I really need to see this movie. And B, there is this, like, we will not allow children. And so my mother had to kind of come with me as opposed to just dropping me off. She had to actually kind of come with me. She was excited to see it. And... Um, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I fell in love with that movie instantly. And even though it wasn't at the time, you have to realize it's kind of like Texas Chainsaw 2. Day of the Dead at the time was kind of rejected by yeah. the audience. because It was it ahead was of like, its well, time. Yeah. It was way Yeah, both of them. Both super ahead of their time. And great movies. I feel both of them. But Day of the Dead was so interesting because the people turned on it. They really did at the time. And it wasn't embraced until, I mean, there were the hardcores loved it like me, you know, loved it on day one, but it took a while for it to gain. I mean, George uh, Romero did interviews where he said, yeah, there was this one critic that said, if, you know, I saw Day of the Dead, if they drag every single prince out to the middle of town square and make a bonfire and burn it, maybe someday we'll forget what the flames looked like. (sighs) And it's like that was the reaction and he couldn't believe it. he was heartbroken because he it's yeah. it he's to to his dying day said it was his favorite of yeah. the zombie movies.
1: It's a masterpiece it Oh, it's
0: an amazing movie and Bob Howard movie. Sherman as Bub is incredible. No. Um everything about that movie from start to finish, the performances, the writing, the music. Um I absolutely adore and yeah, it's a Tom Savini, like you said, it's a Tom Savini showcase. So I mean, I absolutely love the original dated and have loved it since day one. But it was really interesting that it took years. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of those guys, that's the case. It's like with Carpenter with the thing, or you know, they make a great movie and there's a couple of people at the time that are like, Yeah, I went and saw it, and it is great, but everybody else, you know, either rejects it or it gets, you know, yeah. completely trashed. Um, so it's interesting to kind of come around years later and see that night, dawn, and day. It's like people, I, I always have a hard time. Which one's my favorite? I don't know. It depends yeah. on what day it is. I love them all. I put them all on all the time. Yeah. They're a huge influence on me. They're a huge influence on my work. Like you said, you could tell. You can see it yeah. um, in, in Jackals, and you can see it in the other stuff that I do. Uh, and creep show. Creepshow obviously has a big impact. But I no, mean that's the Jackals, thing. Yeah.
1: them arguing in the house, you know, right. so right. Nine Living Dead. It's like, do oh, we yeah. go to the cellar? Do we give him over to them? Do we right, do right, this? Right, right, it's right. like it's like you're literally looking at the conversations happening between Dwayne Jones right. and everyone else in the house and I Living Dead, you know? And, and Right. Oh,
0: totally, you know, totally. And yeah, that was the thing. It was a huge impact. I mean, and it's tough too with that one. I mean, this is a whole other tirade, but I'll 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 rattle these off with jackals. Um, you were talking about the eighties kind of burnout. Uh, When I wrote, I wrote Jackals in 2000. I originally wrote the draft in 2006. uh, Finished it in 2007. Started shopping it around. Toby was going to direct it. Toby Hooper was originally attached to direct it. (laughs) Um, And um, it was set in the 80s because. Mm -hmm it well and it wasn't it's funny because there were reviews that basically said like oh it's set in the 80s so they don't have to worry about cell phones and they can no it was set in the 80s because the satanic panic and the practice of cult programming, programming
1: yeah, yeah.
0: were only in the 80s only in the early 80s the culty programming thing got really dangerous and people started to get sued and arrested because they were basically kidnapping people against right. their will and you know so, but I had this concept, which was like, okay, what if a culty programmer took someone out of one of these supposed satanic cults that are out, you know, because in the eighties, we were all terrified. That if you were walking home from school, that a van was going to pull up and drag you in and you were going to be taken out to the woods and, and sacrificed to, to ball, you know, or whoever. Um, and, um, so it was this fear that was being perpetuated by, you know, the media and by, by the news. And it was something where it was like, okay, well, this is kind of prevalent and it's, it's never gone. It's kind of like the bomb. It's kind of like nukes or something. Like in the 80s, we were terrified of satanic cults and we were terrified that you know Russia was going to nuke us into oblivion. So it's like, okay, I figured out the deprogramming thing and the satanic panic thing, put them together. So it has to be set in the 80s. It's like, okay, well, that's great because that removes the phones, it removes the internet, it, it it makes them more secluded. I can do something more like What George did, what John, you know, there's a lot of assault on Precinct 13 in there. Um, And also at some point, realizing that Toby was going to direct it, it became very Toby Hooper ish. And so there were things that kind of ended up in there that were very much. So it was more about, so it was written before The Strangers came out. It ended up being directed by the guy who edited strangers kevin mm-hmm. greuder was actually the editor on the strangers um so we got a lot of shit for that in a weird way too which was like oh this is a ripoff of your next and, and it's not strangers anything it's like,
1: close no. th- thematically at all no. with no. the exception of the i could see like the mass you know sure. but again like okay so was every horror movie where they have a mask <laughs> the right. Strangers. right 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 exactly and no because i watched it and i was like people in reviews would say stuff like that. And I would look, I was like, okay, so it's kind of like the strangers. I don't really like the strangers. I I, personally, I, like I said, it doesn't hit for me. Um, I don't think it goes far enough in what it does. And it, it, it just has a lot of just downtime, which Jackals doesn't have. I think Jackals blows strangers out of the water, like (laughs) story-wise you're welcome. Um, But but it's um, but it really is like it, it's, it's just strange people laying that on it when it's not yeah. in the same. I would say it's much more. If you're going to say, "Oh, it's it's taking heavily from something," like for me, it was Night Living Dead. Like I saw more yes. of Night Living Dead. Even yeah. the hands coming through and the chopping on I was mm-hmm. like, "This is all Night Living Dead." Like this yeah. is not strangers. Right. Like this is homages to that, but it's also, <laughs> like I said, its own thing. Yeah. Um, I have to ask, ask you really when, quick on yeah. the. On the cult deprogramming thing, have yeah. you seen the movie Faults by any chance? Yes, with Leland Orser. Okay, I just yes. need to ask. Okay, I got it. Yes. That's it. <laughs> that was my no, question. No.
0: I have seen it. Um, so it was interesting. Once again, script was written in two thousand six. Mm. Um, Toby was attached to it, and then uh, and and that didn't work out. Um, a couple other directors. It's it's one of those scripts that just it's like my reps and I always were like, it's going to get made. Like this is going to happen. Like nothing that keeps attracting the kind of producers and directors that keep kind of flirting with doing it because it would always die out. And I would always get depressed and they'd be like, dude, like this is going to happen someday. This is going to get made. And so at one point um, Darren Bausman was attached to direct it.
1: Wow, yeah. which
0: was an interesting uh, uh, time. It would have worked, and, I
1: think during that time. Yeah, for sure. So
0: yeah. here's a weird little story. I originally had, the opening scene of Jackals was not the POV uh, in the house sequence. It was the parking lot of a grocery store, where uh, Jimmy, and Steven Dorf's character, and Jonathan Sheck and a couple other guys in ski masks, which got written out of the script, um, are in a van waiting uh, for the for Justin with his fellow mm-hmm. cult members to come out with supplies that they're going to, that they're going to bring back to the cult and they wait and they see him coming out and, you know, he's got the bags and he's completely unsuspecting and they kind of blitz. They, they come in and they open the, the van door and they go rushing out with guns and with the, the ski masks and they grab him and they hit him on the head and uh, drag him into the van and then peel out and drive away. And Darren um, and that's, that scene Got me in a lot of rooms. That scene got me in a lot of meetings. Like everybody was like, wow, like I all of a sudden, like I can't breathe. Like I'm, I'm on page three. And it's like, holy shit, like what is going to happen in this script? So Darren uh, originally was like, you know what? I think you just cut that scene. I don't think we need it. And I had a big fight with him about it. And he won the fight. And we took it out of the script and it stayed out of the script because kind of Darren's version kind of fizzled out. And then the producers on Darren's version kind of segued into being the producers that eventually did make the movie. So it was like, Oh, well this is the version of the script. And I was like, can we put that scene back in? Can we put that scene back in? Oh, you know, do you need it? And it's a grocery store and there's people around and then you get a parking lot, like this is going to be really expensive. And then I saw faults
1: uh-huh.
0: and faults has a scene yeah. where she's in a grocery store <laughs> and he's in a van. And they rush in and really, you know, rough grab her and throw her in the back of the van and drive away. And I was like, hey, guys, you know, this whole thing I've been fighting you on about this scene with the yeah, yeah. forget it. Never mind. We don't need it. But, you know, so I'm not crying foul at false. I think false is actually a pretty solid movie, um, yeah. but and I very different, kind of- very,
1: and very, very
0: different. different- oh, yeah, yeah. Very different movies. But again, it came out, you know, my script was floating around a lot. Like my script got, yeah. like, like I said, it went from producers and directors to more producers to more directors, um, and they do nothing like uh, Jackals at all. They do no, they don't do anything that Jackals does. You know, other than that, yeah. there's a culty programmer at the at the That's
1: really it. That's like yeah, that's really it. Between
0: the but two. if if I had had my way, we would have had the same scene. Like that scene, the way that it plays in faults is almost kind of shot for shot what was in my original script, uh, and so I was a little kind of uh, yeah Yeah. interesting because it is like the cat it's it's the inciting incident for false like it's the first thing that happens too so it's like hmm that's interesting but yeah definitely so we decided to uh to kind of not go in that direction but i thought false was great and yeah i I, uh there's a couple of culty programming movies that um and now i'm completely blanking uh split image was probably the biggest uh split image (laughs) was directed by ted kocheff who did um first blood from 1982 and um James Woods plays the, and it's James Woods in Videodrome era. So it's not, you know, yeah. James Woods now, uh, Brian Dennehy played the dad and, um, Karen Allen was in it. Peter Strauss, not Peter Strauss, Peter Fonda was the cult leader. And, um, it's a drama about deprogramming. It's not a horror movie. Yeah. Um, I watched
1: one that was, I forget what the time period was, but it was like a kind of TV movie, mm-hmm. um, it was just like deep program, but it was very much just played beat per beat. What it would be like, it was based on the Lottie moon cult and everything.
0: And right. And,
1: uh, right. Um,
0: That's the thing. It was so disturbing back then. Back I remember then it was like, this could happen to you
1: tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> there you was know.
0: something so kind of like um, almost like a horror movie because it was almost like an exorcism and it was really like emotional and something where it was traumatic on a psychological level to everybody involved. Yeah, And so I found it, that that stuck with me. It always <laughs> stuck with me. And I always was like, well, you know, maybe there's a way to do a horror movie version. Maybe they're possessed. Maybe they're possessed by the devil and you bring them in. And I was like, no, no, no. Let's take it down a few notches and don't have it be Linda Blair with the head turning. Let's do something else. Yeah. And so, yeah, it really was something with the culty programming where those movies definitely left a lot of an impression on me, but the rest of it is, assault on precinct 13 in the fog yeah. and night of living dead and uh and, and texas chainsaw massacre and i was heavily influenced in texas chainsaw 2 and toby knew that um i remember at one point jackals opened with a crawl uh, an opening crawl about the satanic panic and yeah. about uh you know that that era and um <clears throat> day one uh toby meeting on the script script meeting with toby Um, we went through, we're going through page by page, we're going through page one, page two, and just talking about, okay, so what is this and why is, why is this happening? And what is this? You have those meetings. It's interesting. If I, one of the things I always say is that if I'd known that I was going to be called to task for every single comma and period and decision that I put on paper, I probably wouldn't have gotten into this business, but, um, but you do. So you sit down with the director and it's important. I mean, your director, you need to know that you're on the same page and like, OK, well, how am I visualizing what this other person has written? Their vision yeah. now it has to be adopted. It has to become their vision. Then they have to put their imprint on it. And so we had a cult deprogramming. It was a satanic panic kind of thing. It was just kind of the history a really brief history with a crawl that went up the screen, you know, and I would hope that they would get John Larroquette to do it. And um, I, he so he said, why? Why is there this thing at the beginning? And I said, and you're well, like, Toby, I said, seen your yeah, movie, right? yeah, I said, well, it's kind of an homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And he said, Jared, do you know why there's a crawl at the beginning of Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I said, no. He said, the movie came in too short, and we needed to pad the running time. <laughs> That's so funny, because it's such an it's, iconic. It's
1: iconic. Yeah.
0: Right. But again, I mean, that's movies, that
1: handmade thing where, like, you see yeah. these things happen where it was just pure, like, Day of the Dead being in the mines was like an right. afterthought. Like, oh, what other location can we get? You right. know, like, right? Because this huge, epic what thing. What it's known for, you know, right.
0: it, it, It's so it's funny. hard to understand. That's that's been an interesting lesson, and it's something that when as from going from being just a fan, I'm still a fan, and so I still watch movies and still have the same reactions that that everybody does, but. There is this idea when you're a fan, when you're a hardcore fan, that you look at a movie and you try to say, but like, oh, but then you wouldn't if it weren't in the mind, then you wouldn't have this and this or, or if it were, you can't imagine it any other way. And the weird thing is that when you're working on a movie, and when you're working on something like Jackals, where there was going to be a Toby Hooper version of that movie, it's like, no, no, you have to realize at one point there was an entirely different version of this that was going to happen. Um, So yeah, like the mine and and Day of the Dead is a fantastic example because you do have that that sprawling land of the dead ish. Mm -hmm. It was different from Land of the Dead, but it was he took a lot of the same elements. Land of the Dead, yeah, it was was, massive scale
1: apocalypse Ooh. now zombie right
0: movie. right 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 with the multi-tiered class stuff because i love social commentary i i'm you know mm-hmm. jackals is full of so if, if you're looking for social commentary jackals is full of it that a lot of people i feel like kind of get missed they didn't really oh, i mean it.
1: like you said the regan picture on the thing in oh. the yeah. um in the uh in this house we pray or or i forget what the yeah. thing i was like oh it's it's very poking fun In a very light way at certain things, just on the, just on the surface right there. And then
0: establishing time. And, you know, so it's, it's when you can do as long as it's not, I think the thing with social commentary, that's fun. And it's, it's such a tightrope walk because you can make the subtext text accidentally and you know people groan it's like oh yeah. they said the thing out loud that i'm supposed to be kind of getting from and so you try to kind of so when you when you have a picture of ronald reagan it gets a laugh i've seen it you know mm-hmm. I've, I've watched it with with an audience and uh, believe it or not and and ronald reagan picture always gets a laugh but it tells you when this is at mm-hmm. least loosely you know and what you're okay well we're in a conservative republican household they're, they're christian they've got the the cross on the wall and the you know the family that prays together stays together is like the, the, the needlepoint mm-hmm. thing on the wall it's like all that stuff was in the script all that stuff was stuff that we discussed that kevin and yeah. i kevin Greater and i discussed um and it was both by the way you said oh I, you don't know if it's in the script or some of it is mine directly from the script and was always there and a lot of it is stuff that kind of comes out of meetings and, and and discussion and wanting to layer in some interesting stuff because the other thing about jackals that i think the 80s part of it we kind of we shot the movie in 2015. It didn't get released until 2017. Yeah. We came, we shot it. So, okay. So all of the influences that people called me out on were not actually influences. And we would then kind of called out on the eighties thing because everybody's like, Oh, it's set in 1983 because stranger things is hot. Yeah. we didn't stranger things didn't exist. We didn't know what Stranger Things. if you had walked up to us instead, you know, a time traveler from the future and said, Hey, there's going to be this TV show on Netflix. It's going to be the biggest thing in the world for like two years, three years. And it's set in the eighties and you have to like jackals kind of leans away. We don't have big Aquanet hair. You could almost forget have, it
1: is, you know, exactly.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And that was Kevin, Kevin Greuter, the director, um, kind of sick. Cause I had stuff. I had, I had, um, I wanted Chelsea Ricketts character to have a Walkman at one point mm-hmm. and um, to kind of drown out the, 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 the stuff that was good, the yelling and screaming that was going on. And um, there were these other kind of overt eighties yeah. references. And he was like, now it's, it's
1: just distracts you. It takes you out of the That's being exactly
0: there. It. He's like, there's, yeah. there's a very intense, dramatic family drama going on that gets interrupted by extreme yeah. grisly Product horror. Placement
1: from the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. So like the 80s stuff is all just about like, oh, okay, that stereo is clearly from the 80s, or oh, that that's uh, you know, piece of equipment, or oh, that they only had those that car or whatever. But yeah. it's not an in-your face, that 70s show stranger Mm. things kind of thing where it's like okay the the era is all you know the era Mm. it's like, oh they're playing dragon's lair i know that it's like we didn't want to do that so it was interesting because i feel like we got cited for it and on the one hand it's like well maybe we should have just leaned into it more because it was popular at the time anyway and then you know sometimes maybe it would have helped helped because the movie was not was not a big success um but it was a small release anyway um but it was something where it's like okay you know let's we when you get accused of something like ripping off The Strangers or yeah. making it basing it in the eighties because it's like, well, then I would almost rather be guilty of it if you're going to, yeah. you know, throw the I should have done the it. Thing I should me. have thrown the kitchen. Right, right, and right, right. It, yeah. And it was tough because again, sacrilege got me a lot of meetings for remakes. And a lot of the movies that I was being asked to come in and pitch on or to take a meeting on were things that I was paying homage to. Mm. in Jackals. So it was really confusing. You know, it's like Hills Have Eyes when I wrote, there wasn't the Hills Have Eyes, you know, it's like, Oh, Hills Have Eyes remake. Like, Oh, well, I guess I'd, there's a lot of Hills Have Eyes in Jackals. Yeah. Um, you know, so it is, it's one of those things where I, like you said, I took a lot of those influences and made my own thing out of it, but it was in that era. It was getting me meetings to then remake those things, which was a very confusing identity crisis thing to kind of get into yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm still proud of that movie and, and really happy with how it came out. And I like the i I thank you for recognizing I mean, I mean, some of the stuff be. that we did. It, it really
1: is. And, and it, it is for someone who's a fan of the genre, like for myself sitting there and not knowing what to expect, you know, I could feel, like I said, I could feel all the inspirations you named. Like, even if you hadn't yeah. sent me a list that these are my three people, right. like, I would have watched that movie <laughs> and gone like, oh, Night of me Living Dead, and this, <laughs> and this, without it having to say, hey, remember that? Remember that? Right. Remember that? Right. Um, look, I mean, I could talk about, I mean, Jackals alone, I could talk to you about all day long. Um, but I, I want to ask you a couple, I, I like to end these with a random round where I ask a couple quick questions and get your kind of gut reaction to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll kind of work through these. First, we talk about remakes. If you were given mm-hmm. the green light to remake any film, uh, what would you mm-hmm. choose, and why?
0: I have like multiple answers for this, and I've already kind of pushed your your time limit on this to pass the breaking point. Um, it's a the, car- uh, the car. the car. <laughs> Believe it or not, it would be the car. It would hmm. be the 1977 movie The Car, which is something that Ryan Turek really wants to remake. And, and you know, uh, hey, actually, Ryan,
1: remake the car. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Seriously. No, and he really wants to remake it. It was funny because they did that weirdo straight to video pseudo sequel.
1: 2000. It was re... not recently. Well, last three it... or four years. Yeah. It's not
0: that old. 2000. Um, so I was kind of. 16, maybe? I thought it was interesting that they made this, and it's like a death race kind of futuristic thing. And it was like, that's a weird choice to make a part two you know all these years again a title
1: no one knows
0: (laughs) yeah you know but yeah it would definitely be the car because i have some well i just i have some really cool ideas for what i would do with a remake of the car Um, but i love that movie um and it's interesting because it's definitely like a cult thing it's Mm -hmm. not it's a i you know and i'll probably get shit for this saying this but it's a guilty pleasure movie it's not an especially good film yeah. but there are indelible things in it like the car itself and the way that it kind of operates like a shark mm. like, a, like a target almost like a, like a slasher shark yeah, where like it's Christine
1: like, kind of a target,
0: yeah it's targeting people and, and doing its thing um, and it's yeah it's a proto Christine um, and I like the idea of this demonically possessed car that can't be stopped and uh, in the small desert you know town where there's nowhere to run um, and so, uh, yeah, I think that would be it. I mean, I would, I would have, I have like seconds and third places, but I think the straight answer, when you ask the question, the first immediate response is the car.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, who do you think is the most underrated filmmaker working today?
0: Mm. Oh, wow. I don't even know. Um, all right. I'll say it. I have, I am working with someone right now who I think is, uh, Dave Parker. Hmm. And well, you don't know who he is. Uh, Dave Parker. Dave I'm thinking Parker. thinking my
1: brain, whole, uh, like
0: trying he, to. He's, he, well, first of all, okay, he, your audience right now would probably know him best from Tales of Halloween. Okay. Um, he did the first segment, The Sweet Tooth, which I thought was terrifying. Hmm. Um, but he directed oh. a movie called The Hills Run Red.
1: Oh, The Hills Run Red. That is yes. a good movie.
0: It's a good movie. It's really a good. great movie. And uh, I don't know. And I know. So the thing is, is that there's a lot of us. My, my crowd is, I mean, we have guys like Ryan and we have guys that are huge successes that have had runaway things. And, you know, the Darren Bousmans and the, and the Dennis Woodmeyers and, and Kevin we um, were in that same crew and we all get together. But like, really, a lot of us are guys that just keep on keeping on. We keep on trying. We keep, I, I count myself among them where it's like we've been out here for, I've been living in LA for 27 years and it's like my success level just now is kind of like where I kind of hoped it would have been 25 years ago rather than, you know, 27 years later. Um, So like Dave is one of these guys, he's so talented and he's got such amazing visual style. He's great at scares. He's great at getting great performances out of his actors. He's really good with music. His scores are always top notch Um, and his movies are incredibly good and incredibly watchable. And he deserves a franchise. Yeah. They're brutal. And, and he deserves, and I think you can immediately see like the guy that did Hills run red and me putting our heads together and working on something. It's like, Oh yes, of course. And I've known Dave for like 25 years. Like I've known Dave, you know, Dave, I've known Ryan Turk for 20 years. Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) Yes. No, I mean, Parker's such a good guy and he's such a good director um, I feel like he's, he's someone that I feel like I don't know why Hollywood has not picked up on what he's thrown down because he is yeah. so good at what he does. And he's such a talented guy. And uh, we've talked many, many times over the years, but right now, again, we're actually actively talking about a project again. Um, so he's someone, Rebecca McKendry, who is my dead right horror trivia co-host. Yeah, um, She's someone else that... <clears throat> And she did something else for sci-fi. She did the Bring It On yes. horror movie that's coming up, yeah. uh, uh, as well. So we both had this kind of new sci-fi. That was coincidence, but um, but Rebecca McKendry has a new movie that I've seen that hasn't. It's not finished yet, but I've mm-hmm. seen an early cut of it. Um, that uh, I can't. I think the title's changed actually from what it was originally. So I can't remember what it's called now. But she's it, it'll get a big blitz. It'll be. Uh, but she's someone else that busts her ass and is yeah. really good at what she does. I don't even know what
1: and, like where she finds time in the day when I listen I, to her. <sighs>
0: I ask her, we, we yeah. have direct line, you know, yeah. we talk I have to a four-year-old, I don't day.
1: understand, like, that's a full-time job. She's got and then two she's kids. Filmmaking, teaching, podcasting. Horror like, trivia. And on like, podcasts all the yes. time. You know, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, we, we talked about working on a project together. It, it fell through. It was just one of those things where it didn't, didn't, you know, financing didn't happen. So it just kind of parted ways on it, but we still talk, we talk about doing, you know, where we do monthly horror trivia together. Um, we were working on a podcast of our own that didn't happen. Um, hmm. so, I mean, I don't know. And it's funny cause I just, I ask her all the time, where do you, how do you, how do you do it? Like, how do you, you know, yeah. and it's like, it's, it's almost, she's, she's kind of the person that will tell you it's like, it's almost like the wrong question. If, if it means something to you, then you're going hmm. to find the time and make how do the you time. not do it? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's her answer. That's totally her answer. And so it's that it, you, you, if you have to kind of look inward to figure out the answer to that question but she's great and she's really really good and this new movie that she's that she's made I don't even know if I'm supposed to say that I've seen it but I I saw a rough cut of it and wow I was really blown away hmm. um but she did an anthology a holiday anthology that she co-directed yeah. with David McKendry with her husband um David McKendry is in uh Tales from Bed of Night 2 by the way um uh, coming soon like yearbudtheater.com. um and um but um uh, you know they did, uh, and I think they co-directed this one as well. But they did all the creatures restoring, which I showed up in. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting next to Axel Carroll in a in a in a theater uh, uh, in an the audience of a theater. We're across the aisle from Elric Kane, um, but Mike Mendez is in there. Mike Mendez is another guy that yeah. I love and who I catch up with, uh, you know, every couple of months yeah. and he, really he popped friends. up
1: in malignant actually. And yes, of the, that's right. That that's awesome. right.
0: He's yeah. like, the, yeah, yeah. He's like the super duper badass with the, the, the case with the gun. And, oh, he's so good. Um, no, Mike's a great guy. And, but Mike, Mike's always working. Mike's always getting where well, he yeah. just finished another figure. So, but still not quite, uh, getting, you know, he's not doing franchises and I don't know yeah. why that is. I don't know what it is. It's, it's one of these mysterious questions when you're out in the, in the industry, it's like, we're still out there trying, we're still out yeah. there getting work, but you know, some of us get lucky breaks and and some of us don't. And some of us say the right thing at the right time. And some of us don't, yeah. it's, it's really hard to say. So, yeah. So my one most underrated is Dave Parker, but very soon after that, I would say Rebecca McHendry and then Mike Mendez.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, we obviously we know Carpenter Romero, what is a movie that your diehard fans would be surprised that you enjoy? So if there's something that's not necessarily <laughs> horror, like I think George Romero with tales of, of Hoffman or, you know, people right. that have these kind of interesting takes, what would be a movie that you like, love, you know, that people <laughs> would be like, Oh, I can't believe that.
0: <laughs> um, Oh my God. Oh, that's such a tough one. Cause I mean, I have them, but wow. Um, I was thinking the other day about how big of a fan I am because I saw it on my shelf and I was like, Oh, I haven't watched that in a while, but I, I really do love. Um, there's a movie. <laughs> there's a George Clooney movie called one fine day. Okay. With George, George Clooney and Michelle Pfeiffer. Is it like, a, <laughs> it's a romantic what's the comedy. Genre? It's a romantic comedy. Oh, nice. it's, it's all set over the course of one day. Um, it's, it's George Clooney still figuring out, his kind of movie star stardom. Mm -hmm. He's not quite, he was on ER and he was making movies during the hiatus and he was still kind of figuring out what his, you know, he did Batman and Robin and he had some other movies but it was just like, wow, he still hasn't quite figured out what it wasn't until like out of sight. And then out of sight was like, Oh, Oh, okay. That's a George Clooney movie. You know, ocean's 11. It's like, okay, now we know. Um, but, uh, he made this romantic comedy. It's all set in one day and he is a divorced, uh, uh, father, who is a reporter um, and he is, um, he forgets that it's his day with his daughter and who's a little girl. She's like seven or eight. And Michelle Pfeiffer is, um, she works at like an advertising firm or a marketing firm. And they've got a huge meeting that day. He's got a big story breaking that day. And his source has decided to bail on him and is, is saying, I'm going to retract. I'm going to deny, you know, so he's trying to chase down this guy to get him to go on record again, to save his story that's this big blowing the lid off of a a conspiracy thing. And Michelle Pfeiffer has this huge meeting that she has to present for, and she's a single mom, and the daycare has closed for some weird reason that they can't explain or that she misses the bus to school, something happens. So they ended up kind of meeting each other and falling in love over the course of this ridiculous day. Um, where they keep on taking care of each other's kids and showing up for each other and doing all this stuff and having like 17 different meet-cutes, you know? Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's some better answer because I do have a bunch of movies that are not. I mean, I, my, my interests are pretty varied when it comes to to cinema. You know, I, I have a lot of movies that I love that, and they would be predictable things like Out of Sight or, yeah. or Batman Town sure. or Reservoir Dogs or, you know, any of Quentin Tarantino stuff um you know but uh, so i have a pretty wide varied um you know whether it's iron giants uh, which i love or any of those movies um as much as the next guy but uh for some reason when you ask the movie that comes to mind is this obscure 20th century fox produced romantic comedy with george clooney and michelle pfeiffer that was not a hit it didn't it wasn't even it wasn't even like a big deal. It wasn't even like a big uh, uh, movie. I think it's from '96 or '97, no. right around the same era as Mary Riley, which is another movie that I love. That I think people would be
1: shocked. Yeah. I mean,
0: that was like, but it's but it's in that era. It's in that weird. It's I, I, on Twitter. A couple months ago, somebody was like, "Someone needs to write a book about all of the classic horror characters that got reimaginings made in the '90s." Hmm. There's this starting with Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm-hmm. There was this run, so you have Bram oh, Stoker's I Dracula, the
1: Frankenstein with Dana. Mary Shelley's
0: Frankenstein. The, so the, good. The, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was Wolf. There was kind of Interview with the Vampire. You know, I'll throw it in there just because it, it kind of fits the it fits the mold. There's Sleepy Hollow, um, and there's Mary Riley, and it's a really interesting. And there's more of them too. But it's this really weird little era where there were these. Yeah, I won't say hundred million dollar, but they were definitely in that range. Studio yeah. lavish well, big budgets. Huge. yeah, Oh my god, gigantic yeah. Stokes yeah. Dracula is huge. Yeah. Um, but there were these lavish productions and horror was in kind of a weird place at that point. It was kind of dead, you know, in quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, what what is dead in horror is gonna come back from the dead. So of course doing, it was it was it was gonna happen, it was gonna come back. Um, but there's this whole era of kind of A-list. You know, studio, uh, you know, almost kind of above the genre, you know, elevated uh, movies that I, I, I kind of love, even though they're a little flawed, some of them. And Mary mm-hmm. Riley is probably the best, worst example. I just love that movie for some reason. Thinking about it. that's another one where it's like the music and the, the talent involved, like there's some magic pixie dust on that on that movie uh that i love so yeah so those would be my two they're both 90s movies i don't know what it is about lately i've been on a a 90s kick yeah i used to really
1: dislike the 90s but now i'm starting to find maybe it's because i've watched everything else so i'm like going to the 90s but it is interesting like i'm finding these gems where it's like no oh these are really good you know
0: i was so again in my 20s in the 90s so i've totally given away my age at this point but i was in my 20s in the 90s um and uh, you know, horror really was, Fangoria was was struggling. They had to put things yeah. like that. Everything was screams, Scream. You T2 know? on the cover, yeah, and, and then Scream kind of blew the doors off. Um, and you had the occasional Candyman. You had the occasional, uh, you know, Silence of the Lambs. You had the occasional big movie. But honestly,
1: straight yeah.
0: break-to-video kind of graveyard. And I was kind of a snob at the time. And I was really into movies. I was really into, you know, like I said, cinema. Um, and so I was kind of way more into kind of the nihilistic, darker stuff Mm. that was going on uh in movies at that time and so i wrote it off too i wrote it off then and there i wrote it off in the day and so there were things like leprechaun there were things like the puppet master movies there were things um like uh you know night of the scarecrow or any of these weird kind of franchise non-starters um that i wrote off and so what's been interesting in the blu-ray era the boutique label blu-ray era has been a lot of these companies kind of going back and doing these incredibly gorgeous restorations of mm. these movies that were sh- you know, straight to video um, and you know, Amityville sequels from the 90s. And, um, and it's like, oh, okay, well, this isn't anywhere near as bad. Be- like, a, I have nostalgia for the era now. Yeah. And B, like, they're better than I gave them credit for. Like I don't know why I was so hard. I think it was just a snob. I was in my 20s yeah. and I thought I knew better than everybody else. Well, and they, i they
1: was, were they it's part yeah. of the charm now is they are kind of catchy, you know like when you yeah. watch um you know i know what you did last summer or when yeah. you watch you know um even some of the screen sequels or even when you watch yeah. um, like um the legend. one i'm thinking of right now is urban legend you know like urban yeah. legend yeah. i could see at the time going to urban legend i mean like oh this is like a lower end like kind of like when you go into a certain blumhouse Movies yeah. that don't hit and you're just like, right. oh, this, this is the trendy teen horror, you know, yeah. it just yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't land. Um, and I love Blumhouse, but you know, like I, I, that feeling you get when you go to like, would you rather, you know, you're like, what in yeah. the world, you know? Um, I could see that with urban legend, but now it's like fun being like, that's Michael Rosenbaum. Like someone microwaved his dog, you know? and like there's, you know, it's fun going to yes. that era and it's a time capsule that wears yeah. all of the time on its sleeve and it, it makes oh, it really fun to watch.
0: Honestly, no, if you want one of those and you can't believe that you should watch it, you should watch. I still know what you did last summer. Is that, the, because-
1: is that the one where they go on the trip out of the country? Yes. That's a Brandy. really fun movie. Yeah.
0: Yes. Same thing. It's a really fun movie. Really dumb, I mean, it's so, so trashy and dumb, but it's so entertaining. And that movie caught It's funny. Cause I remember thinking it was, it was a lot more expensive. And I had a friend that was like, no, no, no. Cause I remember hearing it cost $70 million, but I think I looked it up and it really was like 30 mil, yeah. which is crazy. But the idea that they were making $30 million, I still know. what With, but like Jack black. Yeah. is in it? And, yeah. um, uh, what's his name? Hawks.
1: Oh, uh, Ethan Hawk? No. No, 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 Ethan no. Nope. Right. Um, the other guy, oh.
0: the guy from, uh, the... Guy, oh my God, this is terrible. I'm the horror trivia guy. I should know this. Um, but there's a, there, the, the side cast. Jeffrey Combs is, and I still know what you did last summer. Oh,
1: that's right. He plays the guy at the hotel. He's yes. The, that's right. The desk guy.
0: Yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, Um, But no, the the cast in that movie is incredible, and uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt is kind of in charge, like she knows what she's doing, and that movie's really kind of exploitation-y about leering at the camera, kind of leers at Uh, her, and John Hawks, John Hawks, fantastic actor, Um, yeah, 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 he plays Freddie Prinze Jr.'s best buddy. (laughs) um and he's like a steam stealer like he comes in and steals the movie and jack black steals the movie and jeffrey combs steals the movie um it's a fun trashy super gory movie Mm -hmm. um where you know at one point the killer tries to kill jennifer love hewitt by locking her in a tanning bed and turning the knob pre-final destination yeah uh uh, death but it's a really dumb fun movie but it's, it's one of those where you just can't believe and like Jack Black, nobody knew who Jack Black was when that yeah. movie came out. He's playing like a you know stoner, Rasta yeah, stoner yeah. guy who's doing the whole Jamaica accent thing with the with the with the dreadlocks, and so it's kind of you know there's some appropriation there. So you've got to kind of you know yeah, yeah time you're, capsule. You're pulling on yeah. your collar. You're pulling on uh, your collar. I just saw it's perfect. Funny. It's like oh yeah maybe him trying to do the whole Jamaican <laughs> thing is not great, but it's like hey you know what it was 1998 and uh, and it was okay back then as far as you know white uh, studio movie, uh, you know, executives were concerned. Um, but yeah, that would be the fun one to check out. Uh, no, but I, but no, I love those nineties things now. It's weird to kind of go back. And, um, I get into arguments with our guys, my age where it's like, I will go on Twitter and be like, Hey, I just got the Blu-ray for Pinocchio's revenge or whatever it is. And they'll be like, dude, what are you doing? You know, don't, don't tell people to watch, you know, that stuff. And it's like, no, guys, like, this is fun. Like, okay, Jared. All right, right. sure. It's great because you're looking back on it with rose colored glasses, but I enjoy those a lot now. And sure. it's fun. It's also because there's like a, there's like a bottomless well of those. Yeah, to kind there's of so discover much and so fun. Like
1: I'm going through Puppet Master right now and it's like, it's uh, fun just going fun. through that series yep. and seeing the good, the bad and the ugly.
0: How far um, along into those are you?
1: I am on six, which I just got through the Jeff Burr four and five, which yes. were actually like, these are good movies. Like
0: it should just be one movie. In yeah. my opinion, I feel like they're both really short and they're both kind of like four is like half a story. So it's like, so I fun. feel like, but they're like, fun. They, they're so, so
1: bizarre. They're so fun. The huge yeah. plant, like planet ish, alien, weird demon set, you know, it's yep. like with the puppet, yep. that like his mouth doesn't move, but he just kind of, right, you know, right like, oh, that's right.
0: That's right. I can't like, think of his name, but yeah, the big the um, literal uh, the, puppet the demon. master though
1: and he's like yeah. standing up and and when he gets right. up out of his throne is walking around this set with all these it's little so ghost great. demon creatures it's so weird and they had it's so nobody. fun and creative it, yeah, And the lighting and honestly puppet master yeah. five not to mm-hmm. cough on a long rabbit trail but like <laughs> that movie i was like this has malignant energy like all that oh, yes. weird red yep. lighting like the blood on the light bulb turns the lighting in the scene red like it's creative right. and fun yep. um yeah look I'm going to ask you this last question so my wife doesn't blast a shotgun hole through the door (laughs) and drag me out. Um, I got to ask this question What's the one piece of advice you would give to an aspiring filmmaker? This show is called Film Schooled. There's movies that Mm -hmm. make you know who you are, but practical advice for this next generation of filmmakers, people that are looking and saying, I want to start making these movies, I want to start writing or directing or acting. What's the best piece of advice you'd give to them?
0: I will tell you the secret. I will tell you what, 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 and it's, it's a dumb secret, but um, I will tell you what I figured out for myself uh, over time. And this is the secret that no one will tell you. Um, And the secret is don't quit. And it's a dumb secret. It's dumb that it is a secret, but what ends up happening is people. And some people, you know, justifiably realize that it's not, for them that it's like they they gave it their shot and it's it's not something that that they can do. Um and some people just don't you know have it whatever it is but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not gonna you know gain it that you're gonna get better at it you could keep writing scripts don't write one script and try to kind of you know oh here's my one script here's my one script that I spent five years working on it's like no no okay finish that one then start writing another one then start writing another one but whatever you do don't give up don't quit if I had quit when it looked like, you know, I mean, I've been down more times than I've been up and here we are talking about this TV show that I wrote on that's premiering. That's an adaptation of one of my all time favorite movies. So it's like, you know, at some point I definitely should have given up, but I didn't. And um, so it's tough because it is, it's a personal thing. It's definitely like, if you feel like you can't hack it anymore, it's you've reached the end of your rope and you've, the rejection uh, is too much. It's way too much. Like, when do I start getting to do things? Um the thing is it's a long term it's a it's a marathon and, and not a sprint and to, to just not not quit and I always say it's the dumbest secret of Hollywood that I can't believe is a secret but it really is kind of uh it's it's what I have kind of witnessed is that the the survivors are the ones the ones that stick mm-hmm. around now I'm enjoying myself like honestly all the years of my 20s and 30s where I was just like You know, why this? I would see a movie and go and I'd throw my hands up in the credits and go, why did this get made? But my things can't. And, you know, every time I have those same, and everybody does it, everybody has those same complaints. And you get upset about, you know, watching something on TV or going to the movies and being like, God, like, why my stuff's better than this? I could do better than that. Keep proving that you can, keep giving stuff to people to read uh, that you trust or that at least, you know, can help you in some fashion. Try to avoid getting scammed out of things and just don't quit. Just keep going, keep, Mm -hmm. keep moving forward because that's the only way that you're going to, that you're going to make it because otherwise this place, you know, Hollywood will just chew you up and spit you out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, thank you so much for so much of your time. And I could, again, seriously, I'd love to do this again and and talk through, I mean, a variety of rabbit trails we could go off on, uh, but I, (laughs) but, um, I like I said I think the passion shows through I'm really excited for anybody listening I'm going to be dropping this on Monday October 11th so right. you have four days as of when this drops to prepare uh, for Day of the Dead um, yes. in the meantime go watch Jackals it's streaming on oh, uh, a couple different sites and and it's uh, on a
0: bunch of things yeah yeah and and, um, and-
1: yeah, are you afraid of the dark? Um, there's so many different places to catch yes. up with Jared's work, and uh, and also watch *Leprechaun Returns* uh, before you yeah, well, watch. Oh yeah, series. absolutely! And and
0: *Psycho Gorman*, PG Psycho Gorman yeah. is so fantastic. Um, and I'm I, my website is JaredRivet.com, just like you know, the, the it sounds. Um, j- at JaredRivet one on Twitter, I'm Scribe Jr. on Instagram. And uh, keep an eye on um, uh, earbudtheater.com, where uh, I have the upcoming horror anthology. It's an audio drama, uh, Tales from the Dead of Night 2, which is a sequel to my 2018 Tales from the Dead of Night. Uh, It's got Clark Wolfe and Ben Begley and Rico Anderson and Larry Zerner from Friday the 13th Part 3. And uh, Dave Dave McKendry is in it. Uh, So, yeah, keep your ears uh, open for that one. It's also on Apple Podcasts. It's totally free. It's not something you have to pay for. Uh, Sweet. so yeah, keep, keep it, keep your eyes open for that.
1: Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And, thank uh, you, you guys have plenty of watching and listening to do over the next couple of days.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to the film school podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe. So you won't miss a single episode.